You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 604. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live en route to Florida. Today's show is recorded on the 1st of February, 2024. In today's episode, six people die when a charter jet crashes moments after takeoff from Canada. And an Air France Airbus suffers a tail strike trying to land in Toronto. Also ahead, more news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, which is a new RAF form. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 604 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a former U.S. Air Force UPT instructor pilot and Starlifter pilot, retired 727-717 Mad Dog Captain for Delta Airlines. And joining me today, from his studio, in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A320, A340, excuse me, A330, A340 captain, for Virgin, I need to do something about these lenses, uh, for Virgin Atlantic Airways, it's Captain Nick. <laughs> Hello, Jeff. Lovely to see you again. Uh, and uh, looking forward to another great show. Nothing special this week. I don't know. Perhaps a plain tale? Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And also, last but not least, from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, the lovable, the wonderful Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. We've got a couple of uh, stories from Canada today. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> hey, and we're going to have somebody from Charlotte um, later on when she gets yeah. home. Yeah. So have a good show, you gents. Well, thank you. Cheers. And Steph. We'll see you. Stand by for news. All right, we'll start off with this uh, Air France A350-900 up in Toronto, speaking of Toronto, uh, on January 21st of the of this year. So, uh, what, about a week ago or so? Uh, they had a tail strike uh, on landing slash go around. And uh, let's see, let, I think we have some video. So if you don't mind, oh, what happened to my... Uh, it, it disappeared. My uh, share screen thing. That's weird. 
Uh, let me go like this. No, like technical this. hitch, Jeff. Uh, well, I yeah, that's crazy. It. That never happens. <laughs> this is, this show's been going so smoothly. I know. <laughs> uh, shut up. Um, <laughs> all right, here we go. And uh, let's do the video from Bass Aviation. How do I know? Because I hear that sound. Real Aviation Communications and uh, LiveATC.net. Uh, France 356 heavy trounce target afternoon, your number two global two miles final, went to 280, 11, 16, clear to land on way two for left. Why do you think I have this outrageous French accent? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Inspector Clouseau. So they're coming in for landing, and then they decided to uh, reject the landing and go around. Here's some video from a passenger. I will not tell you. Press 356, contact departure 128. Do not ask again. 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 Do Okay, no worries, not a problem at all. Uh, turn left heading 120. Left 120, I'll France 356, turn left heading 060, speed your discretion. 060, speed at discretion, I'll France uh, 356. Air France 356, connect arrival on 12447. 2447, have a great day. 247, I'll France 356, bye. That's one thing they're not going to have. I'll Air France 356, heavy trial tower, Logan, your number two, RJ2 miles final, wind 2809, gust 15, clear to land, way 2 for left. Do you think you'll be able to do it this time? Yeah. Oh, I... France 356, exit Delta 8, cross on oh, way okay. 2 for it. Delta 8, uh, we'll uh, Air France. Uh... Yeah. He's confused. All that. Air France 356 and cross runway 248. And can I ask uh, what was the reason on the uh, previous program? No, you cannot ask. Okay, right, Delta 8 crossing runway 248, and uh, we expect a uh, too long uh, landing. It was why we had uh, go around. Okay, I check that. Thank you. In contact ground on 1219. Have a good day. I'm France 356. Sorry for that. Bye. And uh, you have pieces of the aircraft dropping from the tail. Mm. Nasty. Yeah, yeah, that looks expensive, I'm afraid. Yeah, the aircraft taxied to the gate safely. Now, you know, they did the right thing. Um, they, I guess, floated or, you know, they had too much speed or whatever, and they realized that they were well beyond the touchdown zone, I'm guessing, and they decided that yeah. it was just not going to be a good... So that the, the thought was good that they decided to you know, go around, but I guess they were just a little bit too exuberant with their 
uh, actuation of the uh, of the side stick controller, I guess? Yeah, Nick? I would guess so. I mean, of course, uh, the 350 has got uh, warnings if uh, your the runway remaining is insufficient uh, mm. to continue the landing. Um, which is fantastic. Uh, so long as your actions in your, the go around uh, don't jeopardize um, the safety of the aircraft, <laughs> otherwise it might be better to stay down and just hope for the best. But um, yeah, if they got themselves a bit uh, allowed the speed to come back a bit um, during their touchdown before they decided to go around if you just put power on and then immediately start rotating the aircraft you don't have the energy to like you would a normal takeoff and the thrust to bring you safely clear and it's very easy to over rotate touch the tail and i think that's what happened here hmm. um so yeah not not ideal and i tell you what there's there's running out of fuel is pretty stupid thing to do as a pilot and tail strikes even on an aircraft that's as long as the 350 i'm assuming it was a 1000 series um but um it's a pretty long airplane so yeah it it is and there are a lot of other aircraft that are susceptible to tail strikes remember captain now telling me yeah yeah indeed uh, and about the 321 i think is uh, another aircraft that's susceptible you've just got to be really conscious of it whenever you're lifting the nose um that and, plane uh, was in toronto for almost a week they sent a whole bunch of mechanics out from paris to work on it yeah they i suspect airbus would have had to have because each tail strike is slightly different and they usually need the manufacturers to come and take a look at it and they uh, then devise a repair regime that will match the damage done and uh, and they'll uh, glue it back together again or whatever they do but um yeah oh, i was a 900 okay so not quite as big as uh, yeah. the 1000s that virgin have um so i'm not actually gonna fly them uh a 350 1000 uh in april so uh i'll i'll be looking forward to seeing what the aircraft's like and um hopefully we won't have one of these i'm surprised that this magic airplane doesn't have some kind of a with all the computers and everything else have some kind of a system to like prevent you from hit doing the tail strike thing well i don't know much about the 350 flight laws the 340 um they put some additional uh warning um indicators on the uh, attitude indicator uh so that it you know in in the regions of flight when you were likely to get a tail strike if you pitched up you could clearly see how much you could pitch before you banged the tail on uh, so that was you know an important thing to keep an eye on uh, as course, you've got to keep one eye on that one eye out the window you're gonna <laughs> your eyes are gonna be like what was it called Google uh, right. Google you're like chameleon you know they were going in different like directions. marty feldman marty feldman that's what i was trying to that's, think of yeah. marty feldman yes, <laughs> oh, what a funny man he was you're quite yeah. right so yeah so you do get it and uh you know after the first few tail strikes we had on the 340 uh then we started they started putting tail strike detectors on but of course the, the big danger is that you might have worn through and broken the um through the fuselage and so that the aircraft shouldn't be pressurized again and you know people were ignoring tail strikes without realizing perhaps that it had occurred and uh, doing exactly that so in fact we had an aircraft 
Uh, we talked about it in the last show that climbed all the way up to 30,000 feet, having had a tail mm -hmm. straight, didn't we? And yep. we went, that's not a good idea. No, it was but not. There you go. No, uh, so who's this idiot in the um, in the audience that you know seems to think that they know something about the Airbus A380 uh, and and warning limits? Oh, around fifteen this is, degrees. This is that pretend pilot, Stefan. <laughs> uh, so no, actually, Stephen. he is a real A380. Well, re a retired A380 used to be pilot. Yeah, yeah. well, it doesn't count anymore. As real as Captain Nick and Captain Jeff. <laughs> yeah, as real as all of us. Absolutely. So, uh, oh, warning up, and limits are around 15 degrees of pitch. Is there an oral warning if you over-rotate the aircraft? <laughs> I don't think they've gone that sophisticated, have they, uh, Stefan? Yeah, and, of course, it also depends on oleo compression because uh, you'll find in your QRH you've probably got – uh, a pitch limit for oleos uh, uncompressed and a pitch limit if they're compressed. So during the act of touching down, of course, the oleos compress and that brings the tail clo closer to the ground. So, so what yeah. What do Oreo cookies have to do with it? I'm sorry, I'm, I missed your <laughs> comment. Oh, the Oreos. Uh, that's, that's the French word for Les um, leg. Oh, yeah, the aircraft's okay. legs. Gotcha. Yes. guess I'm hungry. That's it. For some kind of a oh, dessert. There he goes. He's answering your question yeah. there. Ah, uh, no, on the PFD only, I'm not sure about the fly-by-wire fly by system. Pretty much on the 340, and I so I, I can't speak for the 380. Stefan can, and he's there speaking and helping <laughs> us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you're is. in the flare, you're in direct control, in direct law, basically. So you're, you're directly mm. affecting the flight control services. Oh, yeah. There's, there's um, in theory, there's there's no interaction through the cop through the flight uh, computers to um, help you. You've got to do it all, all yourself, just like oh, a real no, pilot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's tough. I know it's hard if you're an Airbus pilot <laughs> to have to fly like a real pilot. But every landing is for real, yes. So do you have to move the glass of champagne off of the little table Free that's table. in front of you when you're in the landing phase in that last 100 feet? Well, it's not so much the glass. It's the big bottle you have to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to keep yeah. a little in the bottom of it. Uh, yeah, exactly right, yes. Well, actually, it's funny, isn't it? Because uh, we often used to get all our snacks we'd leave them uh, on the flight deck uh, during the descent the girls would come and try and tidy up but we said oh no leave the snacks and um, as you break down the runway they'd come usually come flying off the jump seat <laughs> which is where oh. the traditional place to leave them we, would get scattered all over the we, center console <laughs> we used to uh, when when I flew an airplane that actually we you know got meals on occasion if nobody in first class or if somebody in first class didn't didn't want theirs or whatever, and they bring up the trays. And it was always like, people always asked, you know, why airline, well, not not long-haul airline pilots like Captain Nick, but <laughs> people like me um, who end up eating, like, you know, you present something to me and I'm, I'm eating it in like five minutes. <laughs> like, and then why are you, why are you eating so fast? I'm so, no I'm sorry. I'm so, because we're in the descent. So, you know, we're like 20 minutes from touchdown and we get the call. Hey, we got a couple of first class meals uh, left over. Anybody interested? Yeah, yeah. Bring them up. And uh, so we put, and then there would never be enough time for them to come back up to get the trays. So we'd put them on the, oops, sorry, on the jump seat. <laughs> and and uh, it's 
it was sometimes, you know, if we forgot to put them on the floor uh, and put them on the jump yeah, seat. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and, you, and you had to a, be you know, kind of on short finals. You'd put them down on yeah, the floor well, if you so forgot they wouldn't to do go that, too far. When you touch down and you're yeah. putting the brakes on, sometimes <laughs> just make this huge crashing noise. Like, what am I going to sound like? Yeah. It sounds like you were crashing, actually. <laughs> so gets your and attention. the next crew that would come onto the flight deck would be going, you pigs, because <laughs> there's food all over the center console. Yeah. Uh, that was idea. always fun. I was always amazed at times that uh, I'd have like a bottle of water, like an open bottle of water, and I'd stuck it on the in that same position or put it over on the side, and then I've come in and landed and got and then pull into the gate and then look over and went, oh look at that, the thing is still sitting there, you know, and didn't tip over at all. I'm thinking one last yeah. comment that's, from that's Stefan. That's good. One last comment <laughs> yeah. from Stefan. Okay, Stefan. So the uh, three eighty apparently shouts at you if you get above twelve degrees of. Pitch, oh, pitch, uh, pitch, 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 auto call out. So, which could be interpreted as it wants you to pitch more, but <laughs> <laughs> pitch, hmm. pitch. All right, okay, Come on. Then. you can do it. <laughs> All right, maybe that's what happened in this case. Pitch, pitch. No, okay. <laughs> well, it was probably uh, in English, so the uh, French pilots did not understand. Oh, I love the accent. Yes. Okay. Hey, next. Uh, next. Well, uh, and let me let me hit this uh, again, just you know, for effect, because okay. I like this yep. is the again the passenger video on the left side of the aircraft coming in for landing. Uh, just to, we'll just enjoy the the sounds a little bit louder this time. Okay, about to touch down. Okay, decent touchdown. Oh, no. Ooh. Sounds like the tail strike happened before they actually got the power started coming up. Mm. Yeah, there wasn't much of a change in power tone that I could hear, so perhaps yeah. it's forward of the engines a bit, but... Wow. I expect the, uh, the crew in the rear galley <laughs> knew all about it. <laughs> yeah. I bet they did. Yeah. Okay. Next. Next. Uh, this is from the Aviation Herald, um, an Ethiopian Airlines de Havilland Dash 8400 registration, Echo Tango Alpha Victor Sierra performing flight 106 from Addis Ababa to Makale, Ethiopia. I say Addis Ababa, but um, Addis that's Ababa. just me. Okay. Well, no, I, I've never been Addis there, Ababa. so I have to, you know, I have to, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, Learn? No, re relent? Yeah, no, you make um, up your own. I think making up your own is a much better no. way to defer? defer. Defer, that's the word. I, I need to defer to you since you have been there. Um, uh, no, I haven't, actually. Oh, no, but okay, I've, we'll forget I've it. i said it before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Addis Ababa. Uh, Ababa. Uh, to Addis Ababa. Ababa <laughs> to Makale. It landed on Makale's runway one one. There's a there's an article in here that we're going to cover soon. I think this is the next one. And I know Liz, I know for sure what you did there. Yeah, you. Got I know me. why you picked this article. It's it's going to be horrible for me to try to pronounce all these. Stuff. Anyway, just, okay. Just pretend you know what you're talking about. Just okay. Going. Uh, so let's continue with this one. Uh, landed on Macaulay's runway one one, but suffered a problem with the left main gear, causing the aircraft to veer left off uh, left of the runway and come to a stop on soft ground. 
there were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage as a result of a left main gear collapse. And then uh, Liz is showing us some pictures of uh, the aircraft uh, after the uh, landing and excursion. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's well, no good. That's kind of all we know, isn't it? That's about yeah. it. That's, that's it. But oh, Jeff well. knows how to pronounce Addis Ababa now. Uh, I do now. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, I bet you he gets it wrong next time. I probably will. <laughs> you know me. Ababa. Uh, Alibaba. Next one is from Aviation Herald again. This is an accident. A Lulatai Saab 340 Bravo registration Alpha 3 Papa Uniform Alpha performing flight 14 from Nukualafua to Vavau, Tonga. Perfect. That's the way you do it. Wait, where's my bell? Here it is. Nailed it. With 35 people on board, was on approach to Vavau, Vavau when the crew decided to return to Nuku'alofa due to the failure of a hydraulic system and problems with the landing gear. Uh, on landing back at uh, Nuku'alofa Fuamato Airport's runway 29 at about 1400 local time, the aircraft collided with a concrete structure off the runway, causing the collapse of the right main landing gear. There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. Passengers reported while on landing approach to Vavau. The aircraft suddenly changed direction and turned away from Vavau again. Okay, that's when they decided, nope, we're going to go back to Nuku'alofa. Uh, the captain subsequently announced that there had been a technical problem and they were returning to the origin airport. Uh, cabin crew told the passengers there was a hydraulic problem. When the aircraft landed back in Nuka'alofa, there was a massive boom and the aircraft went sideways, seats broke, and then the aircraft suddenly stopped as if it hit, it's as if it had hit something. The aircraft was evacuated. Turns out they had hit something. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, well done. <laughs> a big cement block on the side of the apron with the right hand wing becoming lodged on the cement block. So I'm wondering, you know, we're, we're seeing some pictures here of this big cement block and everything else. And this, um, looking at the airport diagram was a considerable way away from the runway. And I'm wondering if they, I'm thinking, okay, they had a hydraulic problem. They landed safely and everything else. I'm wondering if perhaps uh, they overlooked something in there that said that you're going to have, you know, you're not going to have brakes or you're, they're not going to be reliable or the nose wheel steering is not going to work or it's going to be unreliable or something. I don't know anything about the Saab 340. Never flown the thing. Uh, but um, it certainly looks like, it seems maybe they overlooked a checklist item nick that's well, they, they, they might have done uh, and i must admit having got the aircraft safely onto the runway with a hydraulic failure um i'd be very tempted to let the engineers come tow me in but then i'm exactly. used to flying big machines and but um it looks like they did a, a big s uh, turn onto the taxiway and then into the apron so they've gone a considerable distance taxiing presumably quite happily uh, but you know if you're worried that think something might go wrong i'd be taxiing at a 
crawl if I was forced to taxi, um, and not apparently with with the speed that carried them right across the apron, and they smashed them into this huge lunch of concrete, which actually looks like one of those um, water troughs that they sometimes have that uh, are there to provide water for fire engines uh, mm. if they need it um, or, you know, for a specific purpose. Uh, and uh, the wheel has just folded back and the engines drop down inside this concrete trough. And uh, actually, the propeller doesn't look too badly damaged, Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, looks like that engine was maybe shut down. doesn't look like the propeller was moving at all. I wonder if that's when they tried a single engine taxi mm -hmm. in, but shut down the engine that the good hydraulics. They couldn't possibly have done uh -oh. that, surely. No, no, no. I'm I'm just thinking off the top of my head mm -hmm. here. But, I, you know, that's the sort of thing you think, oh, I wonder if that happened. Or perhaps, you know, they had some residual brake pressure and everything seemed okay. They landed and they stopped. Oh, yeah. You know, and it, they thought, okay, we were good. Off, uh, and then it yeah, just kind of bled off. A pneumatic reservoir and, that eventually just right. ran out. I don't know. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? I'm, oh. I'm sure we we will get many more updates of this. And yeah, that'll tell us the answer. Well, Tim is uh, apparently an expert in concrete and cement. Uh, he says it's a concrete block. Cement is an ingredient of concrete. Journalists make this mistake often. Why is my right? Why did my television just turn on? Oh, <laughs> today. That's it? weird. I didn't. I was thinking, who who's talking in my room? Okay, hang on. Let me let me turn the television off. Oh, look! This is a good comment. Given the amount of damage, say this is a sab sab sob story. story. Yes. Uh, like well, possibly sob story. Hmm? It's funny, actually, I did when I trained on the 340, uh, the guy that did the simulated training with me down at Toulouse, he he had flown the A340. And I said to him, well, what are you doing the training for? He said, oh, it was a Saab A340. <laughs> <laughs> I went, oh, okay. Different uh, airplane. Okay. All right. Well, as as we said, uh, hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about this, why, why, they, why this happened. One and E. Go on to 1D, uh, Av e, Herald. E, 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 I'm sorry, we're going to skip this e. one. Thank you. Uh, from the Aviation Herald, uh, this is a Northwestern Air BAE British Aerospace Jetstream registration. Charlie Foxtrot, November Alpha Alpha, performing a charter flight from Fort Smith, Northern Northwestern Territories. Northwest Dang Territories. It, I got it wrong again. No, not North, Western. North West Territories. Northwest Territory. Correct. Ding, ding. Ding. Okay. North, is it territories or territory? Territories. Okay. Northwest Territories. Are you uh, are you saying plural? Yes. Okay. Uh, the Fort, okay. A Northwestern Air BAE British Aerospace Jetstream Registration Charlie Foxtrot November Alpha Alpha performing a charter flight from Fort Smith Northwest Territories. Yay. To... Divic uh, Diamond Mine, mine, excuse me, um, in the uh, NT, Canada, with five passengers and two crew, lost height shortly after takeoff from Fort Smith's runway 30 and impacted ground about 500 
to 1,100 meters or 1,650 to 3,600 feet off the end of the departure runway west of the airport near the banks of the Slave River at about 8.45 local time. Four passengers and both crew died. One passenger survived. Uh, we don't really know much information about this, but we can do uh, this in case you want to see exactly. I probably should have done this at the very beginning, but I took some time to 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 do like a little Google Earth fly by thing. And so let's look at it because I'm impressed with it. There we go. Ooh. Well, and then I'm thinking, okay, let's move a little bit to the right. There we go. <laughs> There's the Slave River. There's the Slave River right there. And it's just on the border of the northern Alberta uh, province and uh, the Northwest Territories. Yes, sir. And uh, so it's way up there, way up north. And Liz, you were telling us that it wasn't that far from where that Air Tindy um, Correct. Twin they were Otter going, same Same diamond mine. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, really not much to say about this except that. No, but, but it does make you wonder because twin engine airplane carrying a light passenger load, if they lose an engine, uh, they should have the performance to uh, operate single engine without too much difficulty. So I'm wondering uh, double engine failure seems mm. a little unlikely, but you know, with double engine failure, you immediately start fuel. thinking fuel contamination mm. or uh, a fuel problem, anyway. Um, and what then the weather, like? uh, the weather wasn't that bad. It was it was uh, light snow, uh, overcast conditions, uh, but reasonable visibility three miles. Um, it was a, high, I mean, a reasonably high overcast, yeah. 6,500 feet. Yeah, indeed, yeah. So uh, un unless it was literally a problem of um, uh, CFIT um, because of, you know, instrument problems perhaps, you know, you, you can start delving around, but uh, it, it, it's the sort of thing that really shouldn't happen. Uh, that's the reason we have two engines on, on air, most of our airliners. Uh, so that you don't have this kind of incident, um, and straight after takeoff as well, ah, no right. idea. Or yeah, it yeah. could have been a, a single engine failure and just a poorly managed, um, you know. Yeah, that bad instrument flying. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Wide out conditions, perhaps, but maybe. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully. The, these the, the not wonderful thing about these pilots that fly up there regularly is they experience these adverse conditions uh, on, a, on a regular basis. So they're usually very good at handling them. Mm. So I do wonder, I would suspect more to be a mechanical problem or a problem with we'll fuel perhaps. Yeah. Anyway, yes. We will look for a report if we get any more updates. Okay. Well, this next one uh, is uh, from... Not in the cold weather. Yeah, not, not in the cold weather. weather. This was sent in from Michael Deprez in um, uh, Australia. A plane crash in Sydney Harbor, a light plane taking off near Shark Island, New South Wales. Um, and uh, emergency responders have rushed to the aid of the passengers. Uh, dramatic scene has un unfolded. Emergency services responded to a seaplane that crashed in Sydney Harbor. Uh, it is understood the plane was in the process of taking off and had not made it far into the air when it ran into some problems. 
It crashed soon after near Shark Island near Rose Bay shortly after 11.45 a.m. on Thursday. Uh, the passengers were transported back to a boat shed. No one was injured. Um, eyewitness Warren saw the crash unfolding after he spotted the plane was having issues taking off from 500 meters from uh, off about 500 meters from the Rose Bay ferry stop. Uh, quote, the seaplane had just taken off or was in the process of taking off and crashed into the water. One of the floats came off the side of the plane, but everybody was evacuated safely. Um, uh, there was a part here that I wanted to... Oh, well, the reason for the crash is yet to, yet to be determined. Authorities believe the plane was attempting to take off when an inflatable part of the aircraft burst. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? Yeah. It, it's that, that inflatable unicorn you get that gives you the lift to fly, you know, because you need unicorns on your wings to fly. We all know that. And uh, so... Being a seaplane, it obviously had inflatable ones. Inflatable now, unicorn? I don't know what on earth they're talking about either, <laughs> other than they're talking about the float because okay. um, yeah, I did floats. notice. <laughs> <laughs> when you go out into the river or the blow lake, yeah, you got to yeah, blow them up. <laughs> Pump up your floats. Little floats. <laughs> like a floaty. <laughs> yeah, it's just that later I noticed that uh, someone said uh, it hit an object with the port mm -hmm. float that collapsed during takeoff. Uh, yeah, that was so. from the errorsafety.net. Uh, error um, um, people that know All a little right. bit about aviation <laughs> said, so, yes. uh, yeah, Cessna Kira, <laughs> Caravan hit well, an no object with a port. float deflated then. <laughs> I just was tickled. Well, they could have hit a shark. It was Shark Island after all. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That be it. It, it, oh, the shark bit into the inflatable thing. Yeah. That could have been it. The, the shark bit the the, the unicorn <laughs> and uh, it deflated. <laughs> but uh, um, it's it, interesting, isn't it? They named an island Shark Island because the sharks, one thing they can't do is get on the island. Come on, guys. <laughs> think of a better name. Yeah. Oh boy, this is crazy. Um, yeah, some some personal video. Uh, yes, another on one Twitter. we'll find out more about, I guess. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm well, glad to say that everyone, you know, there weren't even any uh, major injuries. Everyone just clammed out and yeah. had an exciting there. story to. Oh, and I noticed they've all been offered a free ride, a free flight. As <laughs> compensation by the company. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, I want to do that again. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> Tim Van Ram says it was equipped with a blow-up yeah, right. autopilot. Must have been the blow-up autopilot. <laughs> that's oh, indeed. Yes. <laughs> good point. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, no, I think the passengers might have been happier if they'd offered them a free flight on another company. But <laughs> yeah, <they> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. That no, was that was fun. Got anything to do with, with Miami Rick, this next one? This next one, uh, does it have something to do with Miami Rick? I don't know. Uh, he's been very, um, very silent very uh, lately. Um, this was an incident. Uh, oh, no, this is Atlas. This is not... Um, uh, Acme oh, Giant. Yeah, sorry, not Acme. Um, yeah. A 747-8 uh, at Anchorage. Uh, excuse me, a 747-800 freighter. Got to make sure I get this right. Registration November 860 Golf Tango performing flight. Five Yankee 8938 from Seoul, South Korea to Anchorage, Alaska. With five crew. It was landing on Anchorage's runway 7 right in low-vis conditions. 
at about 6.21 local time when the crew initiated a go-around after the outboard right-hand engine, a GENX, struck the runway surface, climbed back to 3,000 feet. The aircraft positioned for another approach to runway 7 right and landed without further incident about 15 minutes later. The FAA reported that aircraft number 4 engine pod struck the ground on landing Anchorage, Alaska. The uh, occurrence aircraft, uh, this was on uh, the 25th of January, so about a week ago, and at that point it had already been on the ground in Anchorage about 28 hours after landing. Uh, As I said, the uh, visibility, it was a low-vis approach, um, RVR, 7 right, uh, well, it says plus 6,000 feet, so better than 6,000, well, it was anywhere from 1,800 to 6,000, I guess. Couple of different METAR uh, observations there. So definitely low vis conditions. Temperature minus seventeen, minus eighteen. Ew. That's uh, that's chilly, and uh, winds are calm. So I don't. Uh, first, I was thinking, well, there must have been maybe a gusty crosswind or something. I mean, why would the with with the right engine pod hit the runway? But uh, it was calm winds. So interesting. Yeah, and it was Anchorage, not chilly. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, exactly. Unless uh, unless they'd taken over, you know, they they broke. I thought it was okay to continue with a visual landing, and um, uh, perhaps they drifted into a little bit of low cloud they weren't expecting. Yeah, or maybe a uh, lost sight. Uh, yeah, I don't know because uh, th- there was. Cloud uh, vertical visibility had earlier been down to a hundred feet, and mm. it was only two hundred feet. Um, so that, it wasn't brilliant conditions at all. Uh, oh, yeah, they were easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but it was indeed a bit chilly. Yeah, look, they've got uh, mist and vertical visibility one hundred when they uh, mm. was making their approach. So now, not ideal conditions, no. but. Uh, yeah. So I Pop guess strike the, not good. That picture, uh, Liz, that you were showing, is that just like a piece of the cowl that's Something's just hanging, hanging down? down? There. I can't tell. Yes. Yeah, I can't really tell. Yeah, I, I I can't remember on these engines. Does the uh, cowling translate for reverses, or is that actually a bit of a door mm. reverse a door that's been knocked I off? I think it does translate. I know we have people in our live audience here that probably know I boxes, paging I yeah boxes. maybe you guys can chime in and tell us of course the one time you want him there and he's, he's not there oh terrible man most of the time we don't want him there but he's there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> making all kinds of pithy comments yes exactly right yes yeah oh, well. hey pip oh, sleeves not sleeves, a door not yeah a door. sleeves not a door okay, okay. he so was there he was hiding yeah Okay. Thanks, uh, Eyehole Boxes. Yes, thank you, sir. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll find out in due course, I expect. We've got a few mm-hmm. of those now stacked up. Yeah, I know. We Hopefully a, we'll... We end on a criminal note here. We have some people, I'm sure, that are keeping their eye on it. Um, okay. Uh, last item in our news. Grand jury indicts prolific thieves who stole thousands of dollars worth of luggage from the baggage carousel at Salt Lake City Airport. An alleged luggage thief has been banned from entering any airport after a Utah grand jury indicted her with stealing thousands of dollars worth of baggage belonging to airline passengers who had entrusted their luggage into the hands of Alaska Airlines, Delta, and United Airlines. Uh, Leti- Leticia Marie Torres 
and Brianna Marie Taylor, both 42 years old, have been charged with stealing multiple pieces of luggage over the course of a one-month period in January 2022, um, following the grand jury ruling. Prosecutors claim Torres and Taylor uh, reportedly went to the Salt Lake City International Airport in January 2022 and took luggage off the baggage carousels before their rightful owners had reached the baggage reclaim area. Torres and Taylor are also accused of using multiple stolen credit cards that one victim had left in her checked-in luggage. Video surveillance footage was obtained by investigators showing Torres and Taylor apparently taking luggage from the baggage carousels as well as going on a shopping spree with the stolen credit cards. Um, investigators discovered discovered some of the stolen baggage at Torres's residence. Um, yeah, ahead of the busy holiday and ski travel season, the Salt Lake City Police Department has advised travelers to keep high value and irreplaceable items in their carry-on bags. And credit cards. Uh, has advised travelers to yes. keep. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm really not okay. sure why you pack your credit cards. Yeah, really? uh, but there you go. Mm. I guess if you have so many, you know, you have like multiple wallets yeah. full of credit cards, you know, you just can't <laughs> take them all <laughs> yeah. with you on board. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. Um, the department Funny also- enough, uh, there used to be a gang of thieves uh, that stole baggage at Heathrow Airport, and it became so notorious they renamed Heathrow Thief, uh, Thief Road. Heathrow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Not good. Yeah, not uh, so, uh, but that was uh, when I was a kid. So, oh. so um, normally they have enough security cameras and things to catch yeah. these people before they become notorious. And I feel a bit sorry for the poor baggage handler who's mm. been <laughs> zeroed in on he this picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> because yeah, that, that's... it obviously wasn't him. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And, and obviously had nothing to do with, yeah, loading the airplanes out on the ramp. No. Um, so, so these people have been banned from every airport forever? Is that what it is? That's what it well, seems yeah. to wow. indicate. How are they going to enforce that? I don't know. Well, I suppose they mark their... Put their um, passport. They've got to use passport, have they? Yeah, but yeah, I don't even know if they were flying anywhere. I think they just came in in to the uh, baggage claim area and just uh, because you don't have you don't have to go through security, right? That's outside of security. Not on a domestic flight, no. Yeah, not on on, uh, domestic flights. Oh, so uh, they weren't baggage handlers. No, they were. No, they were just oh people, members of the baggage claim area. Public. Yeah, public people. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to work out how they got there because I'm so used to going through baggage claim before you get to customs and there's no way a member of the public could get to that part of the airport, but different if you're on a domestic flight. Right, domestic. uh, Yeah, you just uh, show up at the airport and uh, walk right into the baggage carousel area and And take your your pick. pick. Uh, The department has also suggested that travelers reconsider purchasing luxury luggage brands because these act as a draw for baggage thieves. So, these yeah, you see all these eggs. fancy, uh, what are they, what are, what are some of those brands that... Uh, Louis, 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 Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton. That we all use garbage bags. <laughs> <laughs> garbage bags. Yeah, nobody would. Not too nice sturdy, but they don't, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's get to know you We're guys. We're all going to okay. be bag people. Yeah, bag okay. man, bag lady. All right. It's time for getting to know us. Yay. Getting to Ray. know us. Getting I to think home. they know me enough now. Well, do, we do they, though? <laughs> I, I don't even know if Pretty I know sure. you enough. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, Nick, uh, have you been doing more bowling? Yes, of course. That's about all I do at the moment. Okay. Walk well, the dogs and bowl. Yeah. So uh, last week, when did we do the show? I'm trying to remember. Friday, I think. Uh, Friday, yeah. Last Friday. Friday. All right. So I bowled uh, this Monday, Tuesday, did a county match on Wednesday at short notice. Uh, got a day off today. Uh, I'm bowling tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday, and wow. Monday, and Tuesday. Wow. So uh, you're yeah. bowling more than I'm singing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, I tell you what, my legs are killing me. Uh, it's a lot of standing up, and it's not good for you. Hmm. Uh, anyway, um, it, it's all going okay. It's doing very nicely, but I can't wait for the outdoor season because bowling indoors is, you know, it's like standing in a hangar for, you know, four hours, uh, and it takes forever. And it's not quite the same as being out in the, you know, the sunshine and the good weather and enjoying... Uh, you know, the birds whistling and going to nice clubs in the countryside. That's very different. Anyway, um, that's fine. That's been, been, uh, that's been, been my existence, Cover really. Art. Nothing Cover art. Nothing exciting has happened. But uh, I d should try and explain the cover art a little bit. Okay. We had some very uh, good stories last mm -hmm. week and some great suggestions. Uh, we had the, the door blowing off. Uh, we had a gentleman who uh, couldn't. Uh, keep his gas in the appropriate place. Mm -hmm. We had a lady locked in the lavatory, um, and uh, they had to break. No, a man. Well, was... The engineers had to break her out. No, yeah, it was man. a guy. Yeah. Was it? Oh, I thought yeah. it was uh, okay. Yeah. But there's and, Captain um, Nick with his axe. There, yeah. There you go. You see, I <laughs> I recounted the story of me taking the axe to the uh, the door. So we got a. Uh, Chat with an axe uh, breaking looks like into some the kind of a Broadway toilet. musical um, dancing <laughs> thing. <laughs> the guy with the axe. Well, you've got to do these things with flair, don't you? Well, definitely with and flair. Is that what the way you did yeah, it when you broke out the yeah, cabin crew? Of course, uh, yes, yes, exactly right. Uh, yes, uh, the military two-step, and <laughs> um, we've got a, a large gentleman who's uh, exuding some very noxious-looking fumes mm -hmm. and. Uh, he was rude with it as well. Was so that we um, Camacho that with a beard? <laughs> oh, could be. <laughs> could be, but I wouldn't like to say. Um, and uh, I'd like to point out that uh, it's all occurred between Aldi and Wendy's. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've got that. I see that. Uh, I thought uh, the uh, AI did a pretty good job of giving me a cutaway diagram of an aeroplane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's got all these little... Um, dimensions or fake dimensions around it which is what i used on the title mm -hmm. uh, gassy spat between alders and windows um and bearing in mind we also covered the the nose wheel coming exactly off. so there we've got That's a nose subtle. wheel uh, mm -hmm. all the nuts are springing loose as the nose wheel mm. comes off the uh uh the the front end mm -hmm. um if you want to find the logo it's in the little window. Mm -hmm. And then I added, you see, now, th there's a little line of garbage that the AI produces uh, instead of writing a word on the side of the fuselage and just blown it up in the picture there. And it was on the right-hand end that I attacked, uh, attached the show number. Mm -hmm. But then I didn't think it was clear enough, so I attached it on the left-hand end Yeah, that would have been hard well. to see. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you but put it on the anyway, left side. Yeah. To make it harder, I turned it upside down. Yeah. So it kind of looks a bit like a pound sign zero nine yeah. when it should inverted. It's six oh three. Yeah. So uh, there's the show number. Uh, Very good. And that, good what was it? And really? then you can see the guy that's lighting his loafers over there uh, yeah, with the. Yeah, uh, really. Oh well, you see, that's classic. Me, nice shiny shoes. Yeah, yeah slim, handsome. Yeah. Uh, nice no gray, haircut. No gray hair, but yeah, no that's beard. me. No beard. <laughs> no beard. That was. You see, I when I joined uh, the airlines, I didn't have a beard. It's a younger Nick. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Well Very done, good. Nick. Yeah, so that was that. that. Was nice. That was the sh yeah, brilliant. And it was you, interesting Jeff? when it went during the the interim between the last show and this show, and when you did the art, I never saw that art, and I'm thinking, huh, I wonder if you did any. And then I noticed in our in our Jeff's post editing notebook um, that you had put the art in there, and I went, oh, look at that, that's pretty cool. I missed the oh, entire I discussion. You guys it, must didn't have I had. not stick it in? Uh, yeah, I think messages. I don't. Maybe you guys had a conversation that I yeah, completely missed. Yeah, I yeah, might have been. Have there, yeah, are, there have been a lot of things I've been missing skipped. lately because I'm just <laughs> losing my mind. I think. <laughs> uh, wow! Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, what have you I been won't. doing, Jeff? What did you what do after I been the doing? last well, show, Jeff? Well, uh, let's see. So my apartment is uh, on Friday. They came in and took care of uh, all the uh, heavy-duty cleaning of all the drywall dust and everything else. No, not all the drywall dust. Most of it. There's still a lot uh, of residual gypsum You're going to mention your wine dust. and cheese get-together? My wine and cheese get-together. Oh, right after the last show you were, yeah. at, you were telling me about. I, I, that's not something that I wrote down in my getting-to-know-us notes. But, okay, I'll tell you. Um, so that noise, and one of the reasons why we end, it was a short show because I was in the loft area of that, uh, clubhouse area of the apartment complex and some people, rude people were making noises. Uh, turns out that, uh, it was a group of ladies, uh, who, um, come in for, uh, uh, every Thursday evening for a kind of a ladies night. And I'm thinking, Oh, it's, it's not Thursday, it's Friday. And they said, well, we didn't come in last night because of all the, the weather and the thunderstorms and the lightning. And you remember me talking about that. And so we decided to do it tonight. And I went, oh, okay. And I was actually going, I went downstairs into the little kitchen area of this clubhouse to, because that was the path to the restroom. And uh, they, they, they stopped me and I engaged in conversation with them. And then several glasses of wine, um, maybe a whole bottle or more uh, and several little Many hours snacks and everything else uh, later. Um, I, uh, we, we uh, finally broke up our little meeting and then I went up, went back up to the loft and looked at all of the recording equipment, just still where it was right after we recorded. Went, oh, <laughs> this is going to really take forever to put away. <laughs> anyway, got it all put together. And I think I didn't get back to my apartment until some, something between midnight and one o'clock in the morning. <sighs> anyway, it was worth it. It was nice chatting with the, uh, with the ladies. And, uh, were, so were they it, interested in your marital status? Uh, they didn't seem to be. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. They were checking out his left hand. So I, uh, uh, yeah, they were just checking you out, were they? I, 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 I don't know. 
Um, but I did go. <laughs> Jeff just wanted some wine and cheese. I did um, talk with one of the ladies who happens to be one of our uh, leasing office people, uh, employees, and uh, who is also a resident. And, uh, and she asked um, if I were going to be joining them again for their Thursday night thing, which is tonight. And next obviously I'm not going to be there because I'm week. down here in Tampa. So next week. Yeah, maybe next week. Anyway, good, good, good folks. Well, yeah, very uh, nice. I hope boxes has a question. Were the ladies impressed by your equipment, Jeff? Well, <laughs> they didn't get to see it. I haul boxes. Maybe sometime <laughs> in the answer, future, yeah. I'll be able to show my equipment to them. Okay, moving I'm on. I'm sure they'll be delighted. I'm actually hoping for that. <laughs> yeah. Then Saturday, you did a bunch of cleaning at your so, place. So, uh, yeah. So the cleaning people, you know, finally finished up, and uh, they um, did a pretty good job. And uh, so I did my normal singing stuff on uh, on the weekend, and then um, I guess it was was it over the weekend or maybe on Monday? I don't know. It was it, it wasn't a lot of notice. Um, you'll remember back in the summertime, I went to a high school reunion. Uh, because a couple of my trumpet playing buddies from high school band um, kind of contacted me and you know said, "Hey, you should come down to this high school reunion." And I went, uh, okay, um, so I it was nice because I hadn't seen either of those two for like forty five years, and uh, so we reunited our friendship and got a little text from uh, Stan and Bill, and uh, Bill said, "Well, this is the way. It, this is how it went." Bill goes to our little group. Hey, Stan, I, I'm going to go down to this. I'm thinking about coming down to Naples, Florida for a an auto show and was wondering if I could stay with you. <laughs> Basically inviting himself over to uh, Stan's house. For, and uh, and then he, they included me in that little conversation. And so, what do you think, Jeff? You know, I'm, well, I don't know. You know I, so you're being invited uh, over there. So I'm invited. You know, I'm, I'm being invited as well. So. Um, I worked it out and got permission from Jane, my choir director, to uh, to be absent this weekend of, of singing. And uh, so I drove down earlier today. I left earlier this morning. I'm in Tampa um, in the same hotel I was in the last time I was in Tampa recording a show, which was two weeks ago, I think. And um, different room, but uh, same hotel. And uh, I, I decided to go as far as I could so that the trip tomorrow morning would where are you be going tomorrow? I'm going to Naples, Florida, which is where Stan lives, and that's where the auto auction auto show thing is going on, Naples Automotive Experience. And uh so yeah, get to see those guys tomorrow and then we're going to hang out uh tomorrow Saturday and then probably I'll leave back for Atlanta on Sunday. So here we are. So I brought all my gear again, all my equipment, and um it is impressive. And uh, tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, uh, we've be, always guessed it. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, uh, Doug Wall. Was this through Facebook, uh, Liz? No, he sent me an email. Oh, okay. Uh, Doug Wall sent Liz an email uh, saying that he thought it might be a good idea to have like a web page or maybe have a system where people could send in um, email uh, to a certain address and then say, hey, my name is so-and-so, and this is how you can contact me. I live in um, Arizona and or this little town or Albuquerque, New Mexico or whatever. And uh, if you, Jeff, uh, want to 
park in my driveway or park in my street or whatever, you know, you can mooch dock. That's called mooch docking. There's like boondocking, which is a term that people use for uh, camping the boonies. Uh, out in the boonies and you don't have any hookups, like no electricity and no water and all that kind of uh, stuff. You're just self-contained kind of thing. And that, they, they call it dry camping or primitive camping or several different ways to describe it. But uh, boondocking is a common uh, dis- description um, or descriptor. Uh, if you do the same thing, but you park in somebody's driveway or somebody's property, that's called mooch docking because you're mooching off of them. And uh, so um, I thought that's a great idea, Doug. And so we have set up um, an email address. Uh, so if you are somewhere in the United States or Canada and uh, you have a place for me to park my RV, which is not going to be, it won't be until, you know, sometime May or thereafter. Uh, but uh, when I'm traveling around this fine country or the fine country to the north uh, and you have a place for me to, to uh, park the thing, uh, don't worry, I won't, I won't set up shop for months at a time. Uh, probably be just an overnight kind of a, a stop. Um, you can send it to rv at uh, airlinepilotguy.com. So rv, just the letters rv and airlinepilotguy.com. And then we're going to keep Liz is going to keep a spreadsheet of all the surprise, information. Surprise. So when I'm driving around, I'm going to call up Liz and said, "Hey, this is where I am. Look in your spreadsheet. Tell me where you know who I need to call to uh, so I can spend the night uh, somewhere." So. So they need name, address, name, address, including city and state, including and city and state information. And what else? Well, I want their, their name, their street address, or how mm-hmm. you get there. Street address. City, state, city, and your, their state. contact information. Contact information. Yeah. 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 And any other things you want to put in there in, in notes yeah. or whatever. Don't come in the house. Jeff could not come in the house. No. Yeah, don't come into the house. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, young children, so we, we don't want standards. you anywhere near and, you know, be a bad influence. I understand that. Um, yeah. So... And if you're a, uh, a very attractive lady who wants company, there you go. RV at airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs> well, that's all right. I get the email too. Liz does, isn't the only one that gets the emails. Okay. Um, so thank you, Doug Wall, for suggesting the uh, mooch docking idea. And uh, I think yes, that's it. I don't think you need to do anything about it, but Neil's saying that the website wasn't updated today. Just so oh, you know. crap. I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He found his way here. Neil, my bad. I forgot to up- update the uh, website. Mm. I haven't heard from Micah, so don't worry. Yeah, we, don't, we don't. Yeah, Micah's not here, so uh, that should have been a clue. Oh, well. Coffee fund time. Okay. Coffee fund. Here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The coffee fund. This group of people are the best. I mean, thank you so much if you've contributed to the coffee fund in the past or are currently doing it or thinking about maybe doing it in the future because these are great people. Uh, They are people that support the show financially. And again, 
the disclaimer is that if you don't have the financial resources to do so, don't even think about it. But uh, if you have some extra cash hanging around, it'd be a great way to uh, support our endeavor here. And it's called the Coffee Fund. And a couple of different ways to do that. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, we have our good friend and community member, Aunt Pruitt. Um, you know, he is a, a big name in the podcasting space out there in the podcasting world and the media world and photography world. Uh, had a show on the uh, Twit Podcasting Network uh, and uh, it was part of the staff there at uh, Twit. And uh, so anyway, um, thanks, Ant. You really didn't need to send us any kind of a contribution, but we do appreciate it. And uh, the other way to be part of our coffee fund is to become a patron of the show. That's patreon.com slash airline pilot guy. And I don't believe we had any new patrons. We lost a bunch, <laughs> but I think they're all going over to opposing bases. Uh, ah. But if you are um, considering, you know, being part of our coffee fund uh, cadre or coffee bar club, uh, Patreon is a great way to do it. We've got a lot of great folks that are patrons of the show, and we do appreciate your continued support. So, uh, again, if you're in- interested in joining these great people, uh, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will, too. Captain, incoming message. All righty. Got a lot of audio feedback on this show, which is great. We love it. Uh, This is from Grinner, and he uh, apparently, he thinks he sent this audio feedback before Christmas time. We looked, both Liz and I looked, but sorry, Grinner, we didn't, we didn't see it. So I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe you need to check the address, but got lost in the, yeah, the uh, interwebs. But uh, anyway, we did get this one uh, reminding us that you had sent an earlier one. And um, we're, and we always welcome your audio feedback. And so we're going to take a listen right now to it. And let's see. Let me get that all lined up. I think this is the right one. And if you'll add that to the stage, Liz. Yes, sir. And then I'll hit this little button button here. Hey, Captain Jeff and the APG crew. It's Grinner here from the UK and uh, just stopped laughing after the article about twatters down your trousers in APG 598 uh, today. And uh, particularly after the accusation from Captain Nick that it was a uh, pastime of Yorkshiremen to uh, stick ferrets down your trousers, I just wanted to clarify that as a Yorkshireman myself, I've never had any desire whatsoever to stick ferrets or any other furry animal with sharp teeth and claws down my trousers at any point in my life, even (laughs) for a bet. Anyway, uh, I was going to... uh, give a little bit of uh, feedback on what I've been up to in the last few months, but there's something far more important uh, that's just coming up, and that is to you, Captain Jeff. Uh, It's approaching Christmas, it's approaching the date of your official retirement, and all I'd like to say uh, from myself is uh, have a very, very happy retirement, and I hope you have a fantastic Christmas and a happy new year, and all the very best for 2024. That's me. 
And uh, to all other APGs, have a fantastic Christmas and Happy New Year. Goodbye. Thank you, Grinner. I really appreciate it. And this was, of course, before my retirement. It's nice. Yeah. And now I am officially 100% retired. And loving it. And loving it. I am. Uh, Yeah. Well, you could give the old uh, ferret legs a a go, couldn't you? Stick a ferret down your legs. I could. you're retired, you wouldn't have to worry. Uh, I don't believe, Grinner. I I know what they get up to in those pubs uh, (laughs) if they have a lock-in late at night. The ferrets come out, and they don't want to talk about it, of course, but, you know, I don't believe them at all. Mm Mm-hmm. You you think he doth protest too much? Oh, definitely. Yeah, mm. exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. All right. Um, thank you, Greta. Nice one, uh, Greta. Well done. Yeah. Thank Next you uh, for, for being uh, part of our community. And um, I tell you, you know, being retired is kind of weird, uh, especially when when I've gone back to my company's website a couple of times. And I don't have access anymore to a lot of things. I'm thinking, why? You know, because I've been, I was an employee at Delta for 35 years, and now I just want to go. And uh, they do give me a, like a little retirement portal to get to go through, so I have like very limited access to stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just kind of weird. How, the same thing happened to you, Nick. Like you lost all of your all of your access to various web portals and stuff uh, oh yeah absolutely i lost complete access we don't even have a retired portal so i i the annoying thing is i I can't easily access the loads to find out uh, if it's worth going for a staff ticket in fact i can't even use the online booking Hmm. system for staff tickets so (laughs) it's very difficult now stefan knows that feeling phone number he said yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now the nice thing is my my web portal for retirees um uh, i can access the travel net which is delta's uh, non-revenue travel portal so um i don't know why they give us access to it though because our status now has dropped so low that uh, there's probably not much chance you're actually going to make it on an airplane but hey you never know Neil Landworm says, I don't think I've said it because I missed a few shows, but happy retirement, Jeff. Well, thank you, Neil. Appreciate that. All right. You know what would be a nice retirement gift? If Neil, if you switched your name back to Captain Jeff is the greatest or what was it that he? uh, (laughs) Yeah, Something like that. No, just don't do that. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, Oh, we have some more audio audio. feedback from our friend Paul. And um, and he asks several, multiple questions. So well, if you'll add that to the notes. stage, Liz. And then I guess maybe somebody write down all these questions because I'm not sure we're <laughs> going to remember all of them. Here we go. I'll do my best. Okay. Dobry Richer, Captain Jeff, Whoa. Liz, Dr. Steph, kind of Macho Man, Captain Nick, Miami Rick, and all the APG listeners. This is Paul. I live between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Dobry Vecher is Slovak for good evening. I'm going to be in Seattle April 21st through April 24th, and I would love to have an APG meetup. Are there any listeners that could give me some suggestions or ideas or feedback on when we could meet up? I'm going to give Captain Jeff my email and my contact information, and let's see if we can make a Seattle meetup happen. Toronto, I love going there. I was there for a meetup. Well, there was a company of three, me, myself, and I. 
Let's not have that happen in Seattle. I would love to get some APG listeners or even crew. That would be so sweet. This feedback of mine covers about three episodes of APG. Chapter markers, definitely keep them. I love to use them, especially if there's feedback that's longer than three minutes. <laughs> no, this won't last that long, hopefully. Um, no commercials, please. Keep it as is. Sometimes APG takes me three days to listen because there's videos involved. So when a video comes up, if I'm driving or working or doing whatever, I have to pause APG. And then when I find some time, I'll watch all the videos and then back to finishing up the podcast. Hey, that's the way it goes. I like the videos. It's just how it has to work for me. Hey, Jeff, congratulations on retirement and 35 years with Delta. Nice pin, by the way. Anybody watch Seinfeld and notice the yellow flyer that says Echo Whiskey Romeo on the refrigerator? Well, there's people that asked about it on Google. Apparently, it's a flyer for a taxi service that goes to Newark. Alaska Airlines, well, what can you say? The door popped out and flew away, but the recorder somehow was erased or overridden? I don't understand that. 20-minute flight, 2 hours of capacity. How does the recorder get keep recording? Does the recorder not down power when the cockpit is down powered? How does that work? Dan Grider said something on YouTube the other day which got me curious. He said something about the headsets on Boeing's where you have to lift up the ear cup or unplug your ear somehow to listen to the person next to you. Is that for real? And Airbus, I guess, has a system where you don't have to do that. What do you guys think about that? Everybody remember, April 21st through April 24th, Seattle Possible Meetup. Let me know. Give me feedback. Jeff's got my contact information. My next feedback will cover slip simulator for ice at work and contractor screw-ups. Hey, see ya. Okay. Wow, he even teased his next piece of feedback. <laughs> yeah, okay, Paul, wow. do me a favor. Like when you when you ask multiple questions like that, like in your email that you've included the audio with, by the way, which was more than three minutes, um, list the questions so we can remember all of them. Um, that was a bunch. Um, uh, I'll try to re- uh, address a couple of them uh, that I recall. Uh, one was the Alaska flight in the um, the uh, cockpit voice recorder. Um, that is a, actually, a I think, pretty good question because they didn't fly the airplane after that incident. Um, and I, I didn't, I know that in the airplanes that I've flown, I think when you hit the uh, parking brakes um, or set the parking brake, uh, even if the aircraft is powered, I don't think the cockpit voice recorder is recording. Or maybe that's a flight data recorder. Maybe I'm confusing the two. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I guess. Yeah, I think I think you had to pull the circuit breaker, didn't you, on the um, mm, Boeing's yeah. to stop the voice recorders, right? And they probably and they obviously forgot to do that. And yeah. then the engineers probably came in, powered up the airplane, and did lots of messing about, and yeah. uh, it overwrote the. I, I'm I'm guessing because I don't know Boeing's, but there you go. That's on on the checklists that we used at Delta with uh, like post uh, emergency checklist to kind of 
just to follow up on, you know, call the duty pilot and all these different various administrative things. One of the things was like, you know, make sure you've pulled the circuit breaker for the cockpit voice recorder um, and the yeah. flight data recorder. Stefan tells us that, oh, <laughs> I'll get the right one. Mm -hmm. There you go. The CVR, their CVR on the 380 is running when power is on. Oh, okay. Actually, it may not be the 380. You may, I don't know if Stefan has Boeing experience. So Boeing, yeah. is that on the Boeing, Stefan? Question mark? Could be. Anyway. Maybe. All airplanes are like that. I don't know. So I, I'm guessing that's what happened. Yeah. And um, um, why? Well, who's Dan Grider? Oh, he's the guy that um, uh, a lot of people don't like his style. <laughs> he's, he's kind of a grumpy. He's kind of like the old curmudgeon in a lot of ways. Oh, I, um, I like him then. Um, yeah. What, what What's his uh, uh, YouTube channel called, Liz? Remember, do you remember? Um, oh, God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> While you're trying to remember, Stefan is boasting in the uh, chat room that he's got 9,000 hours on the 737. Oh, I knew well, he he'd flo <laughs> flown some dinosaurs, but uh, 9,000 hours, wow. Wow, that's um, a lot. He sort of does so, investigations. Yeah, yeah um, here, I'm going to see if I can uh, find uh, Probable Cause is his YouTube channel. And uh, he right. kind of investigates a lot of these uh, general aviation things. Um, oh, wait a minute. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we did cover him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, a it was while in a defamation back, case. Yeah, uh, yeah that's so right. It was, was it DC3 the guy? Yes. Pilot. Okay. He was yeah. actually at some point a, um, a Delta pilot many, many years ago. And he oh, ran right. into some issues with the law. And I think Delta fired him. I'm yeah, not so sure of all the details, but um, okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I think I think what he was talking about, Paul, is that the difference between the Airbus intercom system and and the and I could be wrong about this and the Boeing and including the McDonnell Douglas products is that we don't have any kind of hot mic system. Do you have a hot mic system, Nick? On so if you have your headset on. And you're talking, you can talk through the, I mean, is your mic hot in the intercom? Um, you mean a Vox, so that as you speak, mm -hmm. it turns on the intercom. Well, I guess. And, yeah, uh, no. Uh, so what we had on the, th on the 340 was just a two-way switch on the transmit switch. So mm -hmm. if you went one direction, you went out on the radio. If you pulled okay. it the opposite direction, you made the intercom live and could talk through that. But we only used the headsets for radio work. Right. Uh, and uh, most of the time we had them off. We used the loudspeakers mm -hmm. because, uh, uh, you know, uh, once we're in the cruise, um, the aircraft's so quiet. So we weren't mm -hmm. used to the sort of deafening roar that – you get in a Boeing cockpit because they kind of... I'm surprised Boeing even bother putting a ceiling on the airplane. They might as well make it an open cockpit with the amount of noise you get. In. <laughs> yeah, well, you know... Neil, so, Neil's I think, got a question. Uh, Neil says, who is hot <laughs> money? Is that a first-class service? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't like, we don't like to talk about hot mic uh, too much. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, behind the That's scenes. Like magic yeah. mic. But... After dark. Yeah, like magic mic. Or is it magic mic? So... On the uh, on the Airbus, what we used to do when we were wearing headsets was just have it on our left ear. Well, this is the captain did. Yeah, our first time said it on his right ear uh, with a boom mic across, and then you'd just push it back from the other ear so that you could hear the other 
pilot talk yeah. in his normal no, voice, and you I, didn't you know, use the intercom at all. I think I remember hearing from people at Delta that that, that were flying the bus, maybe the uh, narrow body bus, that they have some kind of a system that they don't have to do the uh, thing off the ear like I've been doing all my career, uh, so all that right. you can have a conversation with the person that I'm sitting next to. Um, uh, but they have a, it, it's like a hot mic intercom system. Um, but I don't know, maybe they, maybe it depends on the airline and how they've configured their intercom boxes. But sounds like what you're talking about, Nick, was what I've been used to in my 35 years at flying a Delta is again, well, except for the, the years that I was flying the 727 and the L1011, when uh, we didn't have um, boom microphones at all, it was just a hand mic. And uh, most of us had those little um, telex uh, molded earpieces in one of our ears, and that's it. That's the only thing thing that we used because there were the, our cockpit voice recorders on the L1011 and the uh, 727 didn't have the capability of of uh, recording the boom mic, and so there was no requirement for us to have a boom mic. Uh, when uh, I got onto the um, Mad Dog and all the airplanes I've flown since. Uh, they do, so you have to use the boom microphone. Uh, and Stefan and agrees with as, you there, Nick. As uh, Nick said, yeah, it depends on the uh, – uh, Stefan says that it, in his opinion, it depends on the airline configuration. So, yeah, uh, the same way at Delta. I Just like what I'm demonstrating right now here on the video is just kind of – just slightly move uh, your ear cushion um, off the ear so you have a little bit of – sound coming into your from the ambient environment now i have heard of guys that will actually take rubber we have this guy i think we call him rubber band man um he takes these rubber bands and basically we have that same switch that you're talking about you know you go uh, up is out and down is in and uh he like takes the rubber bands and this is not a, approved by the company i'm pretty sure <laughs> uh and and makes it so that the little toggle switch is pulled backwards or down and so that the interphone is hot uh, all the time, but it's not the stuff going out of the aircraft. That would be a bad thing. We've had some uh, cases in the past that uh, we've talked about on the show where Southwest Airlines is the one that comes to mind most readily about saying things on the radio that he didn't intend, uh, didn't realize that it's his microphone switch was stuck. Well, that, that guy who was a Navy pilot. Or the Navy they, pilot doing his PA. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah, yeah, I did it once in my career, and that was embarrassing enough. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, that's. I think that's what Dan is talking about, the fact that you know, you don't, we don't have communi communications with each other through our boom microphones and through our headsets that we actually – you know, kind of bypass that interphone. And you can do that if you want. You can, as Nick said, push the switch down and talk on the interphone. But Which I think is what they do in Lufty because uh, Stefan says they use the interphone switch permanently on. There you go. It was a, a click-on, click-off switch, I think. Oh. So, uh, you know, you just, it wasn't spring-loaded. Oh, okay. Which is an interesting config, uh, Stefan. Uh, yeah, because I, I must admit, we used to, uh, probably Lufthansa, the cabin crew, didn't ever want to come and speak to the pilots. <laughs> I can understand that. But we had so many of our cabin crew, they loved to come to the flight deck and chat away. So it was always, uh, we always liked to have our headsets mm. off and uh, chat freely and, and you know, make a date correct, for the next Nick, night or whatever. Correct. 
There we go. <laughs> that was Stefan. Yeah. You can't say that. You're not supposed to say that. The, the Lufthansa girls are lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Du bist ein <laughs> The only other thing he was talking about, the Seattle meetup. In oh, yeah. The, that was the whole point of it, or I guess. The, the most important part is that uh, Paul has been traveling all over the world. And uh, I think he just contacted me not long ago, just a couple of days ago, sent me some photos from some kind of a, um, a what do you call it? Um, a display? No, not a display, like a like a museum kind of thing. I don't know. I can't a think display. of the word. Um, anyway, uh, in, in D.C. An hmm? exhibit? An exhibit. There we go. An exhibit that he sent me some photos of. Um, and then uh, apparently in April, he's going to be out in Seattle, Washington, and he uh, he doesn't want to be another um, uh, it to be another APG meetup failure like uh, his Toronto meetup was. Um, so uh, April twenty first through twenty fourth, I believe you said uh, latter correct. part of April. Um, my April is going to be kind of uh, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, um, Paul. Maybe if I get a chance, I, I can try to fly out there, but uh, that's going to be. Getting close to my uh, RV delivery time frame. And you're so, going up for your factory And I'm going tour. up to uh, yeah, get a personalized factory tour in uh, April as well when my uh, RV is being built in Winkler, Manitoba. So, uh, But if I can figure out a way to get over to Seattle, I'd love to uh, meet up with some people over there in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Um, if you're up there and you're game for... Uh, meeting together with uh, some other people in the APG community. Um, I believe the email address still works. It's called meetup at airlinepilotguy.com. And there you can, and in the subject line, make sure you put something to the effect of Seattle meetup or SEA or something like that. So we can, it'll be easier for us to keep track of uh, anybody interested in perhaps um, doing some yeah, sort of a meetup. I just saw your email. What's that? Nothing. Never mind. Nick just sent in an email for his RV parking. Oh, did he? <laughs> okay. Mind. Carry that's, on. That's what our, that's what, that's what Nick was doing when he was uh, typing yeah. out an email. Apparently he is testing out our RV uh, emailing <laughs> list. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks, Paul. I think I hope I hope I got them all. I, I'm not. Did we miss anything there? Anybody? I can't. I'm sorry. I had to step away for a minute. I yeah. Yeah. If we missed it, um, right back, Paul, and and uh, ask again. Nick's got his. No, we up. answered all his questions. Okay, uh, Jeff, we did good. All right. Good. Next audio. Okay. Next audio uh, must be from Nick B. Nick B. And that's B E E. Um, or so I guess I'm Nick A, and then he's Nick B. I yeah. wonder who Nick C is. Uh, oh, Nick C Nick is Camacho. <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> we need a Nick D. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, let's uh, hear what uh, Nick B has to say. Hi, everyone. My name's Nick B. I'm a long-time listener and first-time caller. I think that's Jeff, how Jeff put it in uh, episode 601. I'm a cabin interior CVE certification verification engineer, um, allowing me to do modifications and repairs and certify for them, uh, my airline. Um, touching on the subject that was mentioned in episode 601 regarding seatbelts and armrests, I'll be as quick as possible. Um, 
mentioning the inertia seat belts, the over-shoulder harnesses that are similar to um, what you use in a car, um, they're introduced on first class and business class seat pods typically, um, where the pitch of the seat and the angle of the seat might be in regards to direction of travel um, slightly acute, which means that you have something called HIC. Um, you test for that on every seat type, including economy. Um, in regards to HIC, if you were to impact um, the monument in front or the seat in front, um, the inertia seatbelt keeps you away from that. That can be also backed up with, um, as Captain Nick rightly mentioned, airbag seatbelts or airbags built into the module. It all depends on the carrier and the module type. Um, Miami Rick mentioned the pop-up, pop-down um, armrest um, that some carriers have in their business class and first class suites. The reason why they're asked to be kept down, it's all to do with the egress into the aisle. Um, so lots of these business class pods have um, stowages and cubby holes and um, various things around the seat. So it's if they pop down, it just allows you egress in and out of the aisle. It also helps passengers with reduced mobility to get in and out of the seat as well. So that's why they're asked for down in taxi takeoff landing. Uh, but predominantly, it's down to the egress out of the seat. Um, conversely, in the economy seats, um, it's to keep your passengers in. So um, if you were in the eventuality of a crash, it, it, it crash, it contains them into the seat um, and prevents them being in the aisle and being a hazard in, in the eventuality of a. Um, an emergency evacuation as you saw on the JAL flight. I hope that's covering uh, in a nutshell without being too technical um, and keeping it as brief as possible. Thank you very much for 600 episodes. I'm absolutely loving the show and look forward to seeing you guys soon. Yay. Hey, did he say, did he say hick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of hick that I know. I've never heard of that term. Hick you used to have before. Miami hick. Yeah, we used to have Miami Hick. You're right. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, well, much more yeah. complicated than I thought it would be, <laughs> the answer. Um, I'm not sure. I, th I think I'm still very confused by, by all of yeah, that. Yeah, we, we need a Well, I've got a vague idea. Now, I'm, I'm just curious, Nick. Could you send us some more and tell us if you have to do a crash test dummy um, trials with the seats to see where – you know, the Are you uh, body would go in the event of a what direction and, <laughs> you know, where it's going to fly off to and all that kind of stuff. Or uh, or does someone else do, do that? I think they use retired pi airline pilots for that. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder my back hurts so much. <laughs> yeah. All right. But uh, no, that was fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's incredible the uh, diversity of, of little niche uh, jobs there are in the industry, aren't there? Because you know, that's, that's quite a specialist one. Obviously, this guy was credible because you could hear the uh, airplanes taking off noise in the background. <laughs> or at least yeah. that's what it sounded like to me. I don't know. Well, he, he spoke way too fast to be making it up. Yeah. That, that was good. good. I enjoyed it, Nick. Well yeah. done. Thank you, Nick uh, B. For Thank you. Uh, Nick A appreciates it. I'm sure Nick C will when he hears it. And, and every uh, other Nick. Indeed. One engineer to another. Yep. <laughs> okay. And uh, finally, we've got oh, Stefan. Finally, we have Stefan, our uh, former oh, A380 and 737, and I'm sure many, many more uh, aircraft types. Well, uh, he survived pilot. flying with Nick. And uh, he, what? He survived, he survived flying, oh, he survived with, flying with you. Yeah. What was that airplane? Yeah. Uh, was it a German airplane? or Some a, kind of Piper. A Piper. Uh, yeah. Well, there you uh, go. Yeah. Piper. No, that sounds Italian. <laughs> no, well. that's, a, <laughs> that's a French one. How, how would you say that in German? 
Uh, Piper! Piper! There you go. <laughs> Here, here's, here's the second uh, question that Stefan uh, sent us. Hi, Captain Jeff. Hi, APG team. Hi, everyone. This is Stefan from Hamburg again calling. I do have a question. Uh, maybe a delicate one, but since we are all now retired, we can try to answer it. Um, I recently stumbled about a discussion when what crew member in the cockpit is allowed what kind of approaches. Uh, I think um, generally it is that way that uh, Cat 3 Outland approach is mostly done by the commander. And uh, then there are other certain approaches like non-normal. Most companies prefer that the captain is handling any non-normal situation and landing. But what about the world in between? Um, I've had a recent discussion with um, a friend of mine who was working for a German company. Uh, a different one, long, uh, long Go, was a very nice one, by the way. And he also worked for a British company and uh, the the set of set of rules there is quite different. I mean, in um, my old company and his old company, it was basically that they are uh, um, when they are younger FOs, which are less than a year approximately. It's it's limited by flight numbers, sectors, and everything uh, on a on a particular type on an airplane. Uh, airplane they are limited not doing approaches when the wind is uh, such and such knots or like example more than 30 knots wind altogether or the crosswind component is more than 20 knots including or excluding gusts. There are all these kinds of definitions. And uh, then the the uh, apparently it was in, in Germany, it was that way also with the other guy that the rest was more or less um, restricted, not, not restricted, but... Um, based on the decision of the commander. If whenever there was a demanding approach or a difficult approach or an unusual approach because of circumstances, um, he could say, well, no, um, sorry to say, but I rather perform that landing. But it was not, not totally mandatory. On the other hand, I was told now from the guy who is working for the British or more yeah, yeah, British company. Um, there is quite it's quite de definited. They say that the first officers are not allowed to perform uh, a landing when there are wintry reports or a contaminated or contaminated runway. Um, so uh, it's it's more strict, and also the winds are more strict. Um, so I don't know. Can you enlighten up my uh, thoughts or everybody else's thoughts by um, share your experience? Uh, with you guys, or maybe if things you have heard, that would be very, very nice uh, to know. Thanks again for your great podcast, and I hope to see you soon. Perhaps, Oskosh, we will see. Bye-bye. Ooh, I hope so. Yeah, I plan on being in Oshkosh this year, or at Oshkosh this year. Thank you, Stefan. Um, so, I hope I remember all of the different um, situations you were talking about as far as low-visibility approaches. At, uh, and this is all from my experience at the one and only airline ever I ever flew with, which is Delta uh, slash Acme Airlines. And uh, the low visibility approaches were always conducted by the captain. Um, and, um, and they were always um, auto land approaches. And uh, I think the lowest approach minimum or minima for the first officer, as long as they were, you know, 
not brand new, uh, was, uh, I, I think, um, category one basically was the, uh, the minimums for them. Um, the, uh, if you are new to the aircraft and didn't have a certain number of landings and, and, uh, a certain number of hours, uh, we call that high minimums. And, uh, so certain weather conditions like high winds, uh, beyond a certain factor and, uh, visibility approaches and that kind of thing. And, uh, where, where there was a requirement that, uh, the uh, captain perform all of those until they got some more experience. Uh, as far as winter conditions um, with certain contaminants and that kind of thing, that was something that was at my company was left up to the discretion of the captain. Anytime, any, for any reason, uh, I decided that it would be best that I were flying the approach and performing the landing or the takeoff or regardless of what the rules said. I mean, I could do it. I could like tell the do you first wanted. officer to sit there the whole time and never get a takeoff or landing. Of course, you know, you don't do that because yeah, that's sit, not... <laughs> sit on your hands. <laughs> yeah. Just sit on your hands. Don't say, just shut, just talk on the radio if you must. Um, but, uh, yeah. and there were some captains like that way, you know, before I got hired 35 years ago, I mean, there were, there was a generation of pilots that some were like that. I, I hear. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there, are, there is a high minimums, you know, low experience kind of um, rules in place, but it doesn't take long uh, for you to, you know, get the gain the hours of experience and number of landings and takeoffs to to get beyond that. Um, and uh, even as a, a new captain, uh, we're um, subject to uh, higher minimums. Uh, until you get a few more landings under your belt and a few more hours. And, and so there, there were some rules regarding that. As far as um, abnormal conditions and, you know, like emergencies or uh, abnormal procedures or non-normal procedures or whatever have been performed or you have some kind of a system failure or whatever else, uh, there was no, at Delta, was no, there was no requirement that the captain perform uh, the approaches and landings However, again, it was all due to the discretion of the captain. But if you're flying with somebody who's a competent pilot, I, I had no problem with them, you know, flying the airplane. In fact, uh, that was kind of the preferred way. Um, Delta preferred, uh, unless there was an, some kind of an unusual situation, for the first officer to basically fly the airplane and the captain to manage the uh, non-normal procedures and communication with the flight attendants, communication with the company and all that kind of stuff going on and kind of just stepping back and having the big picture view of everything happening and letting the first officer do the, you know, the actual flying and communication outside the aircraft with the air traffic control. Um, that was the preferred way to do it, um, at, at my company. Um, and there was, you never, I don't know if you'd agree with me, Nick, but you never really know for sure exactly what you're going to do in every situation until you're in the situation. I mean, I'm, I always considered that, okay, I know this is the way that it's supposed to be done. And this is the way I'm going to brief. It's going to be done, but there might be the way the airplane's handling or whatever. I may just go, you know what, let me, I, I prefer to be the one at the controls for this approach and landing, you know, uh, because, that's I just feel more comfortable that way, you know. Um, yeah. What do you think, Nick? 
Uh, well, and very much, uh, I'm sure there are differences in the details, but the broad brush, very similar, mm -hmm. Jeff, uh, in Virgin. And I, like you, I never flew for one airline 25 years with Virgin. Um, we captains always did uh, Cat 3 landings. Auto lands were the captains. Mm -hmm. uh, it, that, and that was just a written rule. Um, new first officers had crosswind limits. And um, to save confusion, um, when... A first officer got promoted to senior first officer and got three bars. Uh, along with that came a special simulator where they were proved their competency at uh, going up to the aircraft limits in crosswinds. So if you had a senior first officer sitting beside you, and it didn't take long to get to SFO, um, then you knew you could uh, trust him with uh, any kind of landing. Um, they, we had captains only landings for some airports. So um, I'm trying to remember yeah. if Kai Tak uh, in Hong Kong was a captains only landing. Kai Tak was a special case. You had to do uh, a training simulator and then you had to do, I think, three landings, uh, two with training captains. And they were the hard ones to get done because, you know, the training captains were busy doing important training and the the chances you were going to be flying with a training captain who would let you do the landing into contact was difficult uh you had to do two with training and then one with a senior captain or something so or you had to do a special checkout anyway uh it was quite rare for fo's to be clear to land in uh tack but of course uh along with your command came that clearance um, captain when you were a young captain uh, a new captain yeah we had uh, we had uh, added a hundred feet to our minimums for a, a month or two, but it didn't take long to get through that. And uh, for non-normals, we were just like you, the captain's decision. In fact, uh, um, I had an engine failure um, on an inboard engine and it was the FO's leg. So I said, well, you carry on and do the landing. If it had been an outboard engine, that might have you know, coloured my decision a little bit. But uh, I knew this particular FO well. Uh, we'd known each other in the Air Force, so I knew he was a very capable pilot. So I had no um, worries at all. But like yourself, um, the captain is supposed to exercise judgment. That's uh, one of the things that you're assessed on when you uh, are, you know, gain permission to sit in the left-hand seat. So part of that judgment is... Uh, you're supposed to be able to assess the pilot beside you. And in the event of a, a, a problem, uh, you have to make a decision. Um, is giving him the landing gain to uh, be a, of training value for him, for example, a good experience? Is, is it important or is it better in this one instance because of the complexity and the 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 difficulty factor of the landing, is it better if uh, you stay or take control? Uh, and that's completely up to you. You know, yeah, that's why you've got four bars. That's why you get paid the big bucks. Uh, Neil, that, Neil really. has a question for you guys. Uh, Neil in our live audience says, do weather minima change depending on the local climate? So, so an airline in a windier place might tolerate more difficult conditions in a more temperate country. I, I guess so. I'm not sure... If that's the case or not, I could see that could be a possibility. Um, 
Yeah, as, as Nick said. I don't said. think so. I think the weathermen yeah. would depend upon the type of approach you've got, the accuracy of the approach rather mm -hmm. than the local climate. So, you know, they if you've got a particularly foggy or place prone to low cloud, the chances are they're going to have instrument landing systems uh, there and preferably Cat 3. If it's a, a fair weather airport, they're probably going to be happy with just an NDB approach or something, mm -hmm. something that gets you into the circuit. And that's, uh, Captain Nick just kind of illustrated um, what being a leader, being a commander, being captain is all about. You know, you have to do the, actually, when you think about it, every landing is the captain's landing, whether the first officer has at the controls or the captain's at the controls. We are responsible for all of you it. You own it. And we are the ones that have to explain it to the chief pilot or whoever, you know, the the FAA, the NTSB, whatever. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a lot of weight on our shoulders when it comes to that. And, you know, it's uh, we have to make that choice. But, you know, we honestly, uh, there are probably um, a lot of first officers that are, you know, and the hand, you know, the stick and rudder skills are better than the captains. You know, they're younger and they're, uh, they can, they can uh, react more quickly and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, that sometimes maybe letting the first officer be the, uh, the pilot in control is the more wise decision. Uh, and for the captain to be looking and monitoring and managing the situation, you know, uh, so, so Stefan says, in conclusion, Stefan says, uh, Stefan A380. Uh, so sound, uh, all from very familiar. Looks like the particular British airline has just a more restrictive policy. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's very true. And of course, it depends to a certain extent on the um, the way that airline has grown up. So mm. individuals in charge of their flying regulations where it might be more conservative the airline itself might tend to recruit younger newer pilots or it might uh, have a lot of very older and experienced pilots uh, so they'll have different regulations to suit and the CAA will sign off on them after all they do have to sign off on uh, all the regulations the airline places on itself so they, they, they in theory keep an eye on you one quick question before we go on okay Neil. one quick question before we go on from Neil is it true that on the Kitak approach you could see people hanging out there washing <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And um, quite often you'd pick it up on your wingtip as you went past. So, uh, you no, know, you you get a few uh, bras and, you know, a, a couple, a mm. few knickers hanging off the uh -huh. wingtip as you did your landing. Uh -huh. uh, they used to have little guys who would pull them off for you before you taxied in to save embarrassment. So when you get home and your wife is unpacking your suitcase, well, dear, let me explain why <laughs> yeah. those are there. Because they were on the wingtip. And I had exactly to put them somewhere. Right. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Yes. Very okay. Okay, uh, let's do our plane tale now. Hey, let's go ahead and do the old pilot's plane tale for this episode. Uh, you, you game for that, Captain Nick? Oh, uh, if we must, it's, it's terrible memories of the tornado. Here we uh -oh. go. Well, I'm uh -oh. interested to hear what you have to say about that. I'm sure it's going to be all <laughs> positive and complimentary. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, love okay. it. Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> the Old Pilot's Plane Tales, RAF Form 414, Volume 25. 
leaving Australia and the Hornet, unhappily in my rear vision mirror, I was heading back to Blighty and a cold winter in Lincolnshire. Jilly had been the advance party, sorting out our Maricorta for the duration of our stay at RAF Coningsby, but sadly there were none available for students and we were living at RAF College Cranwell, several miles away. Needless to say, we soon made the place look like home when we got our belongings out of storage and our boxes arrived from Australia. We quickly made friends with the Antipodeans serving there when they spotted the Australian Grace Brothers removal boxes stacked outside our house. 229 Operational Conversion Unit was the training unit that would give me my first taste of the mighty Finn, the swing-wing superjet, Mother Riley's cardboard aeroplane, otherwise known as the air defence variant of the Tornado. The Tornado project started life in the UK back in 1967, when I was 13 years old, with an announcement by the British Minister of Defence. Waggling his bushy eyebrows, Dennis Healy stood up in Parliament and told the MPs present that although France had withdrawn from the Anglo-French Variable Geometry Aircraft Project, he was authorising the British companies BAC and Bristol Sidley to continue development. BAC had been one of the original pioneers of swing-wing aircraft, and Sir Barnes Wallace at Weybridge had done more than anyone to work on the idea. Partners in the project were sought, and the founder countries of the UK, Germany and Italy were joined by the Netherlands, Belgium and Canada. However, the design priorities of the partners conflicted around basic needs like the number of crew, the navigation and weapons delivery capabilities, the stall performance and the multi-role capabilities. Although the main aircraft companies involved put forward design proposals, none appear capable of fulfilling all the partners' needs. Air staffs and governments dropped out until the six partners became three again, Britain, Germany and Italy. By 1969, the individual manufacturers had been brought together into Panavia, and the aircraft became the multi-role combat aircraft. The version I was to fly was the F-3 air defence variant. Design features were fixed, and aware of the difficulties that had plagued the F-111, problems were avoided. For example, the tailplane was set well below the high wing to avoid interference, and the flat fuselage bottom was configured so it could be festooned with weapons. The wings were simplified by avoiding the need for ailerons, roll control being obtained by independent movement of the tailerons and the use of spoilers. This also allowed the use of Kruger flaps on the wing gloves and slats on the entire leading edges, plus double-slotted Fowler flaps across the full width of the trailing edges. Wing-mounted weapons pylons pivoted when the wings were swept to keep them aligned with the airflow. To increase short field performance, particularly to encompass short landings, 
The Rolls-Royce Turbo Union RB199 engines employed bucket-style thrust reversers, and the nose-wheel steering was tied to the yaw dampers to ensure stability during thrust reverse use. The reverses could be armed whilst airborne and would activate on touchdown. This led to a couple of unfortunate incidents when pilots tried to go around whilst close to the ground with thrust reversers armed. Giving the runway a glancing blow with the nose up and full power selected, the weight-on-wheel switch is activated and the reversers deployed, pitching the aircraft hard down and breaking off the nose wheels. One such accident occurred while the crew were using the cassette tape system to play rock music to the crew. It was normally used to transfer data from the planning table to the navigation computer and could then be used to record aircraft audio channels. When the RAF Senior Command heard about that, they immediately banned such frivolous behaviour on the pain of excommunication, since rock and roll was obviously the source of all evil. So, having got themselves into a jam, the habit went underground. The wing suite was powered by the dual hydraulic system that ran at 4,000 PSI, 280 bars, to cope with the additional strain of moving around large parts of the aircraft at the pilot's whim. The wings could be set at any angle between the forward limit of 25 degrees and the aft limit of 67 degrees, but the wing sweep lever had indents at the commonly recognised positions of 25, 35, 45, 58 and 67. Each of these positions had four speed limits to remember, with one having eight limits, depending if the manoeuvre flaps were deployed or not. For example, the most commonly used position of 45 degrees had a maximum normal operating limit of 550 knots, or Mach 1.25, and a never-exceed limit of 600 knots, or Mach 1.3. However, if you deployed your manoeuvre devices, combat flaps to you and me, you had to ensure that you were below 550 knots and Mach 0.88 normal operating or 600 knots, Mach 0.92 never exceed. That wasn't all. Being a supposed fighter, one might be expected to roll the aircraft hard in combat or, as the limitations page explained, rapid rolling or moderate rolling. Various notes are scattered around the flight reference cards, such as with full or part full fin fuel, normal acceleration must be between plus 0.5 g to plus 3.5 g normal operating, or 0 to plus 4 g never exceed, and rapid or moderate rolling is forbidden. With that in mind, the normal rolling limits were different for 25, 45 and 67 wing. And as an example, for 45 degree wing, with or without manoeuvre devices, the minimum speed was 250 knots and the maximum speed 550 or Mach 0.88, maximum altitude 40,000 feet, maximum angle of attack 14 units for rapid 
and 17 units for moderate rolling and had an entry limit for a 360 degree moderate roll or a 180 degree rapid roll of 0 to plus 3G or for a rapid 360 roll 0 to plus 2G. <sighs> the G limitations continued with normal operating limits for five different aircraft weights and three different bands of wing positions. So at, say, 23 tonnes, they would be plus 3.8, 4.8 or 4.0, but when you burned your fuel down to 17 tonnes, they increased to plus 5.2, 6.2 or 5.5 g, bearing in mind there was an entirely different set of figures for your never-exceed limit. All of the aforementioned garbage, to steal a term used for describing no terms, was for one out of three aircraft configurations, and for each one, the numbers changed. As I sat at home every evening, in front of my newly issued cardboard cockpit doing my homework, I couldn't stop myself from thinking back to the untroubled, carefree handling of the Hornet and wondered just how on earth they had managed to complicate the tornado so much. Unlike most sensible variable geometry aircraft, the tornado's wing sweep was manually selected. British Aerospace had developed an automatic wing sweep system but it was never cleared for use while I flew it, so we couldn't turn it on. The rumour was that because we flew on the cusp of a transition speed, the wings tended to hunt back and forth whilst air-to-air refuelling, which made life rather tricky. Why we couldn't just turn it off for tanking was never satisfactorily explained to me, and had we been cleared to use it, the RAF might well have saved an airframe from destruction and a pilot from a most unfortunate death. As I heard the story, he was fighting some F-16s and wisely decided not to stay and engage them since they had about double the F-3's rate of turn. He therefore employed our usual tactic, which was to fly a minimum separation close aboard pass and run as fast as he could hoping to get beyond missile range before they could turn around. This pilot did exactly that, and in full burner, he banged his wings all the way back as he headed down the hill, bravely running away. Staring over his shoulder and watching the F-16s turn into little balls of vapour as they span around, it was his navigator who realised they were fast running out of height and warned him of the approaching sea. He pulled hard and the nose came up, giving the impression that they'd levelled, but in 67 wing, looking like a paper dart, the wings never produced much lift, and the aircraft continued to descend until they gave the sea a glancing blow. As the aircraft disintegrated, the pilot died, but his navigator survived to tell the tale. Had automatic wing sweep been cleared for use, the chances are that the wing scheduling would have put the wings into a more suitable position for their speed, where they would have had the lift needed to safely stop the descent. 
Powering the Mighty Fin, uh, the common nickname since the tornado had a single massive fin, rather than a pair of smaller ones, were two Turbo Union RB199-34Rs, three-spool turbofan with increased performance over-the-ground attack version, but they still only produced a measly 9,000 pounds, 40 kilonewtons of dry thrust. 2,000 pounds, about 9 kilonewtons, nearly 25%, less than the F-18. What's more, that thrust bled off dramatically with altitude. I had seen a practical demonstration of this whilst flying the Hornet on Exercise Lima Basatu in Malaysia. It was an exercise of a joint defence pact between the five nations of Australia, New Zealand and Malaysia, Singapore and the United Kingdom. We had been down at the southern tip of the Malay Peninsula and at Endex we turned ahead back to Butterworth. Mukai and I climbed our F-18s up to 50,000 to get over the massive late afternoon thunderstorms that had built up over the jungle below and listened with interest to the F-3 tornadoes that had been operating adjacent to us as they cruised at about half our height and tried to get around the massive thunderheads below. They turned this way and that, through the growing maze of ugly clouds, unable to climb and cruise higher, until their controller warned them that they were about to leave the country and entered Thailand. The designers of the tornado had, however, put some clever ideas into the aircraft, and not just the thrust reversers. One of these was the cross-drive clutch. The idea was that following an engine failure, the clutch would close automatically to allow the operation of both engine gearboxes from the single remaining engine. This meant that you could recover the hydraulic and electric systems that would otherwise be lost. It was a great idea, except that it wasn't supposed to be left in auto above 20,000 feet or so because if an engine failed above that height and the cross-drive closed, it could drag the good engine down with it and cause it to fail as well. So if you were being conscientious, you were forever flicking the switch back and forth every time you transitioned through the height limit. The cross-drive clutch also had a habit of catching fire when used for too long. Well, you can't have everything. The F3 had a pretty massive panel of warning lights, which sported 39 amber cautions and 33 red ones. So with the biggest emergency checklist I'd ever flown with, the simulator rides could be a voyage of discovery. However, with half a dozen of those done and dusted, it was time to take this new thing airborne. As with all new aircraft, the first few trips were a combination of fascination as to how it would perform along with the mental overload that usually happens when trying to apply everything learned in the classroom and the simulator to the real world. Firstly, the aircraft was incredibly easy to fly. Its handling qualities reminded me of the Hawk Trainer, a viceless and well-harmonised aircraft that was both responsive but could be flown very accurately. The tornado was quick. Indeed, it could go very fast indeed, and it was beautifully stable, even when creaming along 
at over six or seven hundred knots just over the waves. It wasn't, however, very manoeuvrable. It was possible to bash through some decent aerobatics, but looping manoeuvres were large and lazy, so I had my doubts about its performance in combat. It also lost energy quickly, particularly up at medium or high levels, so it was best to enter any hard turns with plenty of smash on. The Tornado was a docile aircraft in the circuit, and as we taxied in I was feeling pretty content. As we came up to our parking position, my backseat pilot was very quick to remind me, however, of one of the aircraft's unusual foibles. Whatever you do, he said, make sure you let the engines run all the way down before you put the battery on. The result of thoughtlessly flicking the batteries off and climbing out was, as had happened several times, a loud roar that soon became a deafening screech as, without power to the DECQ, the digital engine control unit, the engine had a habit of relighting and immediately accelerating to an uncontrolled 108%, whereupon its core disintegrated, spraying a nasty cloud of white-hot debris and chewed-up blades out of the back. I kid you not, and with the OCU having a preponderance of young brand new Tornado pilots, they saw this happen more than most units. Three flights into the course of my backseater was now a navigator and not another pilot, and after a quick instrument rating, I was off with a fellow student navigator in the back. Hoping to have some fun together, our plans were dashed when we got a couple of engine warnings. We got an amber reheat warning for an engine combined with a red thrust reverser unlocked caption. The reheat failure wasn't really a problem, but a reverser deployment in flight could be a nasty situation, particularly on finals, so it required a precautionary single engine approach and landing. And that was my welcome to the fabled F3 Tornado. And you miss it so much, don't you? <laughs> How can you tell? Oh, dear. Wow. You know, yeah, I, I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, sadly. Uh, there's a certain element that I uh, think the F3 uh, or the Tornado was a great airplane and certainly it did a fine job in the ground attack role but uh, I was used to something of a higher quality so moving to this was uh, uh, something of a disappointment uh, interestingly I just watched an interview uh, CW Lemoyne that he has a YouTube channel and mm -hmm. he's a uh, uh, I think a Tomcat driver, and he was interviewing one of his fellow Tomcat drivers who uh, came across to the UK to fly as an exchange officer on the Tornado Air Defence variant. And um, I hadn't heard it before. I wrote this plain tale, but uh, I listened to it just a couple of hours ago, and so much of his comments reflect what I have just written. Then I thought, well, that kind of verifies my opinion uh, and he was an independent uh, uh, arbiter as it were so uh, no yeah. it 
It was a it was a, a different airplane. Neil but had a question for you, Nick. Were swing wings a failed experiment? It was like Neil. It was like a um, a fashion. Um, you know, the, the, a number of countries, the the Russians, uh, the Americans, with both the Tomcat and the F one eleven, and we, the Brits, the Europeans, uh, all thought it would be a really interesting aeroplane to have. And everyone assumed that with wings forward, you know, you'd be able to have a great short field um, performance. With the wings back, thing could go very fast. Um, but the weight of um, the mechanism, uh, plus the fact that the wings were could never be very large because they're uh, continually needing to fit up against the fuselage or spread out. And when they were spread out, they weren't really big enough to provide the uh, level of lift required. Um, and so, yeah, uh, they very quickly, uh, everybody dropped them, except that we were lagging so far behind the rest of the world. We were still building brand new uh, tornadoes in the 90s, we we formed our squadron when I came back from Australia in 1990, and they our aircraft were coming straight off the factory floor. Everyone else was giving up on this, and yet we were still churning them out uh, and equipping squadrons with them. So, you know, classic, uh, you know, save money, delay the project, but without realizing that actually, had we delayed just a little bit longer, we could have had the typhoon. The typhoon was really just waiting for an opportunity to take center stage, but we had already invested all this money into uh, the tornado. So we couldn't really make that move, I think. Yeah, so your assessment and experience in the tornado. Uh, do you think it sounds to me like it was affected by the fact that you had just come from a, a completely more advanced jet, the, uh, the F-18. Yeah. Um, exactly had, right. Had you gone from, let's say the F-4 to the tornado, maybe you would have had a better, you know, feeling or opinion of it yeah absolutely it. and that's this that's the progress most people made yeah. they came from either the jaguar to the uh the interdictor strike tornado the ground tech version or from say the lightning or the phantom to the air defense variant and they saw it as oh this is nice this is this is brand new shiny got all this fancy kit kit it's got terrain-following radar and the Grand Tech version and really nice navwares. Um, the uh, air defense variant, well, it could beat a Phantom. <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> saying much since the rest of the world were equipping with fulcrums, flankers, uh, eagles, mm. F-16s. Um, uh, so in comparison with the way the aircraft we were fighting against as soon as we moved out of our own country, we soon very quickly discovered the limitations of the tornado and people stopped calling it a fighter and started calling it an interceptor as if that was kind of some excuse. Um, if you want to have an airplane that will do all roles, the F-18 did all roles. It had limitations in range and weapons carriage. But, um, you know, you don't build 
a poorly performing airplane and then define its role because it can't do jobs. You build a great airplane and then it can do any damn job you want. Um, by the way, um, I haul boxes says that CW Lemoyne or mover is his uh, call sign flew F 16s and F 18s and also the thing that's concerns me most about, um, I haul boxes is why did you, uh, properly not use an apostrophe uh, from that last comment, <laughs> but you put them in after the F-16 and F-18. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you're, dear. You're, yeah, a little more so uh, consistency in your grammar, yeah. please. Liz, Liz is identifying with uh, you, I haul boxes. Yeah, I'm apostrophe challenged. <laughs> apostrophe autocorrect. No, it's, there are not supposed to be apostrophes there, just to be clear. Okay. I can't say anything about the tornado or any other fighter, but I can say a bunch about apostrophes. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, look, I had some great experiences in my tour on the F3, um, which weren't really about the airplane, more about the things we we did, the fun we had. So uh, I, I, I'm going to talk about that. But I think it was quite right to, you know, tell it as it is and set the, the, the record straight with regards to this particular airplane that we had purchased at great cost and really couldn't do the job, but there you go. All right. Are, are we going to hear more about the tornado? Yeah, I, I'm going to talk about, well, I've got awful, some really amazing experiences that I had during that tour, uh, which I'd love to tell you about. So this is really just an introduction to the airplane, okay. just because not a lot of people understand exactly uh, what the um, air defense variant was like. And so I just wanted to I mean, remember all those numbers going around your head all the I time. I was going to say, was, was, were there any placards <laughs> or anything like that, or that would, this nope. all had to be in your in your head? Well, yeah, you had your flight reference cards, but yeah. you couldn't, you can't really pull them out. Yeah, you're not going to like in the midst of it. You you're not going <laughs> to reference no. them, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's amazing. Now you had to try and keep those numbers in your head, mm. uh, and um, yeah, the airplane did talk to you if you tried started to overspeed the wings it would rumble and complain mm -hmm. and uh, it was a good reminder that it was time to pull that lever and bring them back a bit uh -huh. uh, but the specific numbers and particularly the g numbers the g limits were were really hard to remember and rolling g limits were just you know you're going oh wow uh, can I ever remember that? I don't think I ever can, but we were tested on them. So, mm. Mm. ah, the good yeah. old days. Limitations. Yes, I know. Wazoo. <laughs> exactly. There you go. It was all fun. Number seven. Oh, I didn't know that I haul boxes. English is not his first or second language. Wow, you had me fooled. Yeah, no kidding. I am He's sorry I said anything I at all. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> my, please accept my apologies. Okay. Um, seven? Number seven, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. David sent this in. Uh, let's see. Here's a blog post about the cockpit door opening during the incident. We're talking about the Alaska 12... 1278? What, what, what's, uh, I, I don't remember the number. The Alaska Air. Max 9. Um, Max 9 that uh, lost the door plug. Um, part of the door system has two pressure sensors placed inside and outside cockpit 
and releases the lock when there is a pressure difference. And uh, so he sent us a link to this article, cockpit door lock auto unlock is no surprise. Um, let's see, several years ago, we bought an aircraft door lock controller from a breaker's yard uh, from a decommissioned aircraft. The controller, this is the article, uh, the controller was manufactured in 2004, though it represents similar behavior to those manufactured today. After the appalling events of September 11, 2001, all commercial aircraft are required to have an armored cockpit door that can resist attacks from the cabin, including from small arms fire. The door has an electronic locking mechanism, so it's kept secure during flight. This normally works in the following modes. Um, okay, one, both pilots are in the cockpit. Cabin crew member wants access. Okay, it goes through a lot of the, the different um, uh, switchology and uh, what happens in the various uh, configurations. Um, in the recent, oh, 1282, that's it. Uh, once the aircraft became... Alaska 1282 incident, once the aircraft became rapidly depressurized after the loss of one of the plug doors, the cockpit door automatically swung open. This actually led to the loss of paper quick reference handbook, the QRH, or emergency checklist, notes, and the pilots had to fly their emergency actions from memory. Apparently, this behavior was not known or expected. The cockpit door has blowout or kick-out panels, and it's understood that the pilots thought that these would allow the equalization of pressure. That's what I thought. Uh, but these are more for emergency exits in the event the lock controller malfunctions. When we examined our door lock controller a few, few years back, we found the dual pressure transduce, transducers that detect the sudden drop in differential pressure and automatically unlock the door. Okay. Hmm. The pressure transducers are connected to air pressure pipes routed to the cockpit and the cabin to sense the differential. The reason for the auto unlock behavior is to reduce the forces on the bulkhead between the cockpit and the cabin in the event of a depressurization event, given it contains extensive wiring and controls. Any damage to the bulkhead could threaten the safety of the flight. Yeah, that bulkhead up there near the front is uh, pretty, pretty uh, important. Uh, we felt that at the time that this knowledge was probably not safe to draw widespread attention to, even though it is found in some aircraft manuals and is described on several websites. Hmm. That's interesting. However, now that it is pivotal for pilots to be aware of cockpit door behavior and an explosive decompression, we're publishing this timely information. Okay. Yeah. Again, as, as I mentioned before, and several people have since this Alaska 1282 incident, uh, that behavior of the door opening was unknown to us because nobody had bothered letting us know. Now we know. And it makes sense. But again, what what what's the purpose of the blowout panels and the uh, in the door, oh, the door jams. You, oh. they we used to call them kick-out panels. So yeah. you can, if you need to evacuate, and you found that the door had jammed because of the locking mechanism, perhaps loss mm -hmm. of power or a distortion of the airframe, you could kick the panel out, mm -hmm. 
and clamber through. If you <laughs> if you were small enough, yeah, I don't they, think I would be able. You'd to... have no problems because you're <laughs> slim. But, but I've seen some pilots Are that you would have me? definitely struggled to uh, get through there. I think I'd I'd struggle to get through one now. That's another yeah. reason, a good reason that I'm a retired captain. Um, Very much so. Yeah, okay. I, I have to agree with you, Jeff. I must admit I had it in my memory. It's been a while now that those kick-out panels also allowed air pressures to equalize. Um, I had completely forgotten. I'm pretty sure I knew at one point but I had completely forgotten that um, this pressure differential would also release the cockpit locks. Um, it's just an interesting reminder. I don't see that uh, um, this particular uh, website says um, pivotal for pilots to be aware. You're flying the airplane looking forward. What is happening to the door behind you during an explosive decompression is to a great extent completely irrelevant because you've got too many jobs to do uh, with flying the aircraft and controlling it and initiating descents and working the radios, etc. When you've got time to gather your breath, you might turn around and go, oh, look, the cockpit door's blown open. I never knew that. Well, but there you go. Um, because, uh, you know, you're just too busy doing your job. Uh, so I... I don't think uh, you can say we're publishing this timely information just so we can be aware. All right, I think we'd all worked out now that the cockpit door uh, gets released and blows open in a decompression, but it wouldn't have affected anything the pilots did at the time had they known that beforehand or not. That reminds me what you said there about, you know, what's behind you doesn't matter. Uh, the 1976 comedy movie, uh, Gumball Rally, where I forgot which car it was. It may have been the Ferrari where they just ripped off the uh, rear view mirror. And he said, what's behind me does not matter. And now my friend, the first rule of Italian drive. What's behind me is not important. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, I hold boxes says in the 747 freighters. Oh, oh, I hold no boxes. Door, no says problem. Love it. 747 freighter. No door. No problem. There you That's go. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. Well done. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, we've only got about 10 minutes left. Do you want to wrap it up or do you want to continue? What do you want to do? What do you want to do, Nick? You want to go ahead and wrap it up? Oh, well, let's do one last and then we can okay. call it quits. Your eh? choice. You, I'll let you choose what you want to do. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, oh, let's do um, number nine, please. Okay. Um, do you want me to uh, yes, read take this it away, one? sir. Okay. This is by, uh, feedback from uh, Sean uh, Bracket. So am I allowed to give the name? In brackets, yeah. if you want, if you'd uh, like to, I think Liz, Liz just does that for me, just so that I know what Sean. Okay, well, it is. I usually don't say. So last Sean name. Whitman, uh, yeah, we've revealed your secret identity. Uh -oh. um, passenger notices missing bolts. Keep up the great work. Thanks for the hours upon hours upon hours <laughs> upon hours. Yeah, we get it. And we get it. Entertainment and education. Well, if we get some education in there, we're doing pretty well. <laughs> it's mostly so, entertainment. <laughs> he's brought to our attention a uh, New York. Um, 
bound flight cancelled when passenger notices missing bolts on plane wing. Uh, so this involves my old airline. Uh, a New York-bound Virgin Atlantic flight was cancelled just moments before takeoff last week when an alarmed passenger said he spotted several screws. Um, oh, sorry, screws missing from yeah. the plane's wing. Not bolts, like the previous oh, okay. one said. <laughs> no, and that's the headline, which is screws and bolts are two different things for sure. That's very true. That would normally escape most people's notice. Mm -hmm. Well done, Jeff. Um British traveller, Phil Hardy, 41, was on, that's his age, not his um, email address, oh, uh, was IQ. on board flight. It could, could it's be his IQ. Um, <laughs> on board flight. I'm not saying what Liz is saying, but Jeff might put it in. It's very amusing. No, uh, on VS127, Manchester uh, on January 15th. He noticed four missing fasteners. Uh, during a safety briefing for passengers. I don't know if that was relevant. He just looked out the window and noticed there were some blank holes uh, on the panels on the wing beside him. He decided to alert the cabin crew. I'm a good flyer, but my partner was not loving the information I was telling her and started to panic. And I was trying to put her mind at rest as much as I could. Well, well done, uh, Mr. Good Flyer. Hardy told the Kennedy News Agency of the moment he spotted the missing fixings. I thought it was best to mention it to a flight attendant to be on the safe side. Engineers were promptly called to carry out maintenance checks on the Airbus A330, a type I used to fly for Virgin, before its scheduled takeoff to JFK International Airport, New York, a Virgin representative said. May I interrupt uh, yeah, of course you may. Before you go on to that, um, it says in the article, you read it correctly, uh, the moment he spotted the missing fixings. Now, I don't know about you. I think that's supposed to be fittings um, uh, because fixings are something that you have with your yeah, main course, right? You have, you have your fixings. Oh, no, that's, uh, with that's an Americanism. Wait, we, we in the UK would say a fixing if you're referring to something that would fix something. Uh, and okay. normally something that would attach something to something else. Well, that. But what kind of makes me doubt that is that this is a New York Post article, not um, oh okay, a, a Daily Mail, well, or it's they're not quoting not... him directly. Yeah. So oh, I see. Oh, okay. okay, okay. I I get it now. I'm sorry. Okay. Please yeah, continue. You're, you're very welcome. Yes. No, no. You keep you keep picking holes. I don't mind at all. <laughs> it's not um, not what you're saying. It's just what you're reading. <laughs> Fair enough. I, exactly okay. right. So, uh, missed, missing fixings or fittings, okay. as uh, appropriate. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, footage shot by Hardy shows one of the engineers climbing onto the plane's wing. Well, that's not unusual if you're going to examine the top uh, before using a screwdriver to tinker with some of the fasteners. I'm sure he was checking them for uh, security. Hardy said their line staff repeatedly assured him there was no safety issue, uh, which I have been <laughs> short of as well. But his fear was heightened given the recent ordeal in which an Alaska Airlines place plane lost its door plug and a chunk of flu fuselage flew off in mid-flight. Uh, relax, sir. This is an Airbus. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you've got a bunch of uh, very well-qualified engineers uh, looking at it. Both Virgin and Airbus stressed there was no impact 
to the safety of last week's aircraft. I'll just say that again. There was no impact to the safety of last week's aircraft, despite the missing fixings. Okay, um, we've got here a, an overwing cover. Uh, so uh, it's not an integral part of the uh, wing. It's an aerodynamic cover that uh, probably covers um, part of the, uh, well, it will be the top of the fuel tanks, etc. Um, and the um, CDA will, which is the configuration deviation, oh, CDM, configuration or deviation CDL. manual. Okay. Oh, it could be list. Uh, will will probably have in it a um, description of this panel, uh, plus all the other damn panels on the entire bloody airplane, uh, and will probably list the number of fixings that can be missing. Uh, so there were four in a row. Uh, I don't think it was any big deal, uh, but in uh, a <laughs> in a fit of um, Excellence. An abundance of <laughs> Not caution. Always an abundance displayed. Of caution. <laughs> Jeff, uh, sorry, Liz has said an abundance of caution. I like that. Uh, not always displayed by Virgin Engineers. Uh, <laughs> they replaced them, uh, which obviously delayed the flight. Uh, so that's what happened. Um, the safety of our customers and crew is always our top priority. I'd like to meet an airline executive that won't say that. <laughs> safety is not um, the highest priority. If, if anyone ever finds one, please let me know. Uh, and uh, this was not compromised at any point, said the representative in a statement. We always work well above industry safety standards, and the aircraft's now back in service. Um, there you go. Uh, Neil Firth, the Airbus local chief wing engineer for the A330, added that the effective panel was a secondary structure used to improve the aerodynamics of the plane and not a door that would fly off and depressurize it. Um, no, he didn't say that last bit. I just said it. <laughs> so he it's did a little say bit different each, <laughs> each of these panels has 119 fasteners. So there was no impact to the structural integrity or load capability of the wing and the aircraft was safe to operate as a precautionary measure. And this is probably the mistake they've made. If some bloke wandered up and they get, yeah, that's fine, and climbed off the wing again, and they got off flying, everyone probably would have gone, oh, that's okay. But because they took the time to put the fasteners in to replace them and delayed the flight, that's probably why this has become a story. Yeah, actually, yeah, they canceled the flight. So, oh, they? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but I think out it was all... Out of an abundance of caution. It was all yeah, out of an abundance of caution. I think it was out of an abundance of uh, social media <laughs> and... Yeah. Um, Scrutiny. You know, how we are going... People are going to look at how we handled the situation. We're just yeah. going to yep. take it in the you-know-what and cancel the flight. Uh, but it was entirely not necessary. <laughs> so. Yeah, I must admit, I, if I'd been ops, I would have been tempted to say, nah, launch, mm -hmm. uh, and let him watch it the whole flight and <laughs> see if it comes off. <laughs> I just like somebody presses face to the, you know, like his yeah, nose yeah. to the window the whole time <laughs> yeah. to make him watch it. Duct tape yeah. it to the window. Uh, <laughs> put a bit of speed tape on it. That'll, that'll <laughs> satisfy. There you yeah. go. That works. That yeah. fixes everything. But uh, no, it's, uh, being a little more serious, uh, there are parts of the aircraft where missing fasteners are um, vital. 
uh, critical to uh, the safety of the aircraft. The other places in the airplane, um, not so. Uh, and um, it's it's very nice. This passenger took the time and trouble to advise the crew. Very nice that the crew took it to the captain. Very nice that the captain took it to the engineers. Very nice that the engineers decided that uh, um, they're going to fix it now. You mm-hmm. called me out here. We're going to cancel the flight and fix it. We're going to fix the fixings. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly right. Um, so all all was good, but uh, uh, I think um, mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can understand people's sensitivity yeah. considering the um, 737 thing. Yeah. But this was an A-Bus A330. I hall boxes says. I hall boxes says as long as the flight crew doesn't need to get fixed before the flight. Yeah, the flight crew. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the most that, important that, thing. That's yeah. yeah. Indeed, I'm sure the flight crew went off to the hotels or whatever. Had a yeah. beer. We're very happy. Yeah, an extra day and the Big Apple. Yeah. All right, or extra no, night. They were in Manchester. They were flying to Manchester. Oh, they're, oh, they were in <laughs> Manchester? Extra night in Manchester. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Not well, so that's sure not quite that. the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. But maybe okay. Maybe that's a good thing, too. Okay. Let's wrap this baby up. Let's wrap this baby up uh, by telling you all about our website, airlinepilotguy.com. Where we, we have, have all a kinds website? of good stuff. Yeah, we do. Uh, it's called <laughs> airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs> and uh, lots of stuff there. But honestly, the reason why we have the website is mainly to ingest the uh, the podcast into the RSS feed. <laughs> so right. all you people, all you people nice out there like sending emails to us like several a day uh, trying to tell us that we need to, you know, enhance our SEO and uh, yeah. search engine optimization I don't care about any of that. I just care about people, you know, watching and listening to our show and downloading it. Well, the guy that said, um, now that you've done 302 shows, you need yeah, to Yeah, that something. yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, Liz is yeah. saying, uh, the guy wrote in and said, well, now that you've done 302 shows, you know, I'm going, yeah, you have no idea what you're talking about. These people, <laughs> I, I, I get this, we get this all the time. Oh, yeah, I love your show. I've been listening for a long time. And uh, and then they start giving us ideas for to people to interview. And I'm going, well, if you'd listened to the show, you know, we don't, that's not, we're not an interview format show. Uh, you're like, come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and, it's, if, and if you want to give us someone, then say, we'll take someone on for 10,000 pounds. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, it's, everything's negotiable. Uh, negotiable. <laughs> negotiable. I could interview him for a plane tail for 10,000 pounds. That'd there be you all go. right, wouldn't it? Yeah. There you go. I think that it would, to be on a plane tail would be definitely worth oh, a minimum yeah. 10,000 Okay, social meets. <laughs> Let's just say. All right. Okay, come on. She's she's bumping us, trying to get us back on the rail. Uh, social oh, meets, uh, Captain Nick. Well, if you want to complain, uh, f- then <laughs> pl- I'm offended at airlinepilotguide.com. If you want to send feedback, then please go to our uh, email address, which is feedback at airlinepilotguide.com. And uh, if you like Twitter, or it's now it's X, uh, then you can look at. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. So. 
<laughs> Nobody's looking I'm at it anyway. Sorry. It doesn't matter. Uh, at APG Crew, uh, if you go to Facebook, then you'll need to uh, do a search for Airline Pilot Guy, or one word. And, of course, we are on the Insta, the Instagrams, and uh, there we're just APG Crew. Mm-hmm. And right here, oh, YouTube. what we're Don't doing right now. YouTube. I'm trying to mess YouTube. with you. <laughs> YouTube.com. Well, a reminder. Airline Pilot yeah, indeed. Guy. YouTube.com forward slash Airline Pilot Guy. And we're on TikTok, Airline Pilot Guy. No, I'm just kidding. We're not on TikTok. Nor we could be. LinkedIn. There are so many places we could be, but we're not going to be. <laughs> it's just too much work. Uh, Who's in your bathroom? Anyway. Did he follow you to Tampa? Well, I I don't know. Let me see. Let me see if we can hear. Uh... Yeah. I, oh, I wow. think he did. He's there. Don't use all the hot water. You want to tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. They're, don't don't use all the towels, please. I I, I need used one to it. tomorrow. Okay, uh, come on over here and tell us all about Slack. Hello. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Jeff? What? Can we please get one of those heated bidet toilet seats? Like they have in Japan. Well, you'll have to talk to the front desk about that. I mean, but I agree. I agree. That's like definitely a must-have. Heated toilet seat, especially when it's kind of warm. Water up your bottom. Yes. I can't tell you how wonderful that is. (laughs) Okay. And uh, (laughs) what else do we want to say? Oh, we want to talk about our wonderful producer, Liz, who does all this hard work. Great job this week. Puts up with us behind the scenes and, and in the scenes and, and uh, all that. straight. <laughs> yeah. Do uh, what I can do. Sadly, um, we got you know, doing the show. We got a message from Dr. Steph that said that she was not going to be able to make it with us today. So, Steph, we missed you. And uh, Nick Camacho, we missed you. And Miami Rick, we missed you as well. So uh, hopefully one of these days we can have all of us together again on a show yeah it would be great and uh, yeah that's going to do it I think for this show Uh, thanks everybody especially our live audience our live chat room thanks uh, ladies and gentlemen there Uh, we love you very much thanks so much for being there for us and without further ado let's go ahead and say wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds talons Douglas goodbye lovely people see you next time Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, how to guy I fly I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine 